Gracious Lord, we are honored and humbled to be here together once again with all our DA with DA family. And right now as we embark on this chapter, this chapter where uh, the mountaintop, Lord, of your sacrifice, mm. everything mm. has been mm. pointing to this moment. Mm. From the beginning of the promise in, in Genesis 3.15 of that enmity of the mm. seed that would crush the serpent's head, mm. this mm. has been the moment and we've arrived in this yeah. narrative. And so help us to feel your guidance as we visualize these moments, as we uh, immerse ourselves mm. in the theology that's there presented. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher and may yeah. we be restored and renewed uh, through a greater knowledge of your Please. love for each one of us. Mm. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. 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 You even pray like a systematic theologian. <laughs> She's like in Genesis and throwing in, you know, the serpent's I head. I took a being... classroom with your dad's for another... Yeah, yeah. I took a classroom with him. So cool. Long okay. Time. Yeah, your your dad was a theologian. Your husband's father was a theologian. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's... You're basically made to be a theologian. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we are in... Oh, got my book upside down here. By the way, look at how similar our books look. Look at that. Bam! Both with the sanctuary, Woo! both with the marbled edges. Um, so <laughs> we are in... The chapter Calvary, and I'm going to have you guys, if you've got your Bibles handy, mm -hmm. um, Sylvia, can I prevail upon you to read Matthew 27, okay. 31 to 53. In fact, I've got to grab my Bible. What did I do with it? It's right here. And then, um, grab that here. Johnny, I'll have you read Luke 23, 26 to 46, and then I'll read the John section. So we'll start with Matthew 27. 31 to 53. Let me just turn there real quick, Sylvia, Matthew. 27. Mm -hmm. 31 to 53. 31 okay. to 53. 31 to, I think it's right to the, almost to the end of the chapter. Yeah. 31 to 53, and nice and loud okay. so that we can all hear it. Okay. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. Mm -hmm. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Mm. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put up over his head, the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Hmm. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Hmm. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others. Himself, he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Mm. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. Mm. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was a darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That mm. is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. 
Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The hmm. rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Hmm. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Hmm. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many hmm. so when the centurion oh 13 53 was that's it, it. that's yeah. it perfect well done mm. you get an excellent reading mm. voice okay mm. johnny you are luke 23 26 to 46 so let me just get there if you don't mind okay luke 23 <coughs> what did i say 26 to 46 26 to 46 ready when you are yep and as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Hmm. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what will be done in the dry? Hmm. And there were also two other malefactors, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, forgive, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Hmm. The others answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Hmm. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me thou when thou comest into thy kingdom. Hmm. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Amen. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Mm. Amen. That's reading Old King James. This is Old King I, James. I like the way you read the Old King James. It's moving. Okay, so now finally, John 19. John 19. And there was quite a few dissimilarities in those mm -hmm. accounts, mm -hmm. right? And so, and of course, we know John is going to be different still. So John chapter 19, I feel a little bad leaving Mark out all the time, but John chapter 19, beginning in verse, I think it's 16. Yep, 16 to 30. Here we go. It says, Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. 
There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Hmm. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put a sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to the lips of Jesus. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Mm. Okay, wow, Mm. there we are. This is where we've been heading since the beginning of the DA with DA challenge, going all the way back to the chapter, Emmanuel, God with us. And I just want to say by way of introduction here, my impression of the chapter, and and I'd be happy to hear you guys' preliminary sort of thoughts, and then we'll go through the chapter, is that the chapter, as I, I said there, is sort of this perfect balance, or this beautiful balance is maybe a better way to say it, of placing us there, like in a literary way, but then also dropping in these very important theological insights. And Ellen White was really great at this. She was a master at writing in a way that you feel like we talked about yesterday, John, you can smell the sweat, you can see the sights, you're there. Can I just say my testimony about that? Please. Um, So when I was 15, my parents gave me the Desire of Ages Mm. uh, for Easter. And I remember that year I started to read it for my morning devotionals. Mm. And it just blew my mind, just the way that she, I was already into, my dad was giving me books in philosophy. I was into literature. I did a master's. I did a master's in English literature. And I'm telling you, nothing compares to the clarity, the precision, the choice of words. You know, we know in Mm. in Ecclesiastes, the master uh, chose the right words, the teacher, he focused. I mean, she just... The, the, and of course, the inspiration. And so uh, when I did my master's in literature, I actually did um, Milton, Paradise Lost, and Paradise Regained mm. and compared the two works. And it's amazing. What two works? The two, Paradise Lost and Paradise, Paradise Regained. Paradise Regained, gotcha. Yeah, and some people actually say, or they've said that Ellen White actually took a lot of her mm. concepts from, that she uses in talking about the, um, the origin of sin and mm. the war in heaven, that she's taking it from Milton because obviously he preceded her. He was in the 1600s lived in the 16 and 1700s and she's uh, you know a couple of centuries later but um, she said no she said they brought a copy and there was a copy of it in my house uh, up on the I, she said I put it on the highest shelf and I didn't want to read it until I had written that information because she mm. knew that it contained information that would uh, influence. influence her mm. right yeah. and so she didn't want to do that 
Though I can relate to that, by the way. Mm. Mm. Like when you might remember years ago when, uh, and don't lose your train of thought there, but yeah. you remember years ago when um, Mel Gibson released his Passion mm. of the Christ, Christ. film. Yeah, yeah. I, and a lot of people were going to see it and saying it was really great, and maybe it was really great, I don't know. But I chose mm. not to see it. Ditto. Because, yeah, you did too. Yeah. Because I just didn't want, like, from scripture and from my own study, I already have a picture in my mm. mind of how that happened and. And I felt that it was for me, and this isn't, I'm not judging. I'm just saying for me, I thought I don't want some Hollywood director, movie star guy influencing what the Holy Spirit has already implanted yeah. in me. So I can relate to that. On the other hand, what is fascinating is that there is so much overlap, mm -hmm. which leads me mm -hmm. to believe because in each section he says, Lord, send me your inspiration. These are noble thoughts. You're talking about Milton This now. is John Milton. And mm -hmm. He also wrote, he, uh, it, around that time, at the same time he was blind, this was his final work, um, and he also wrote uh, on Christian doctrine, the Doctrina Cristiana, and it's a 900-page treatise where he says, I'm not going to go to any tradition, I'm not going to go to any church fathers, I'm going to focus specifically on the Word of God, and mm. that's going to be my source for every doctrine I'm going to um, you know, unpack in this, in this work. And, for example, soul sleep, you know, that was something at that time that was anathema. You could not, yeah. uh, that was something that Puritans and some others believed. And so he could have gone to the stake for that. And so uh, it was published posthumously after his death. And then shortly later, people are looking at it. They're like, no, this is definitely Milton. So you do a search for, you know, Wikipedia, Milton or whatever, you'll see that he wrote this treatise. And it's just beautiful. So mm. my inclination is that even, and, and, you know, he wanted to be a priest. Mm. But it was so corrupt during his time that he realized mm. he could only, the best way to influence the people was by literature, writing. By, by writing. And mm. he did. It was people, the Puritans, when they came to the States, on one hand, in one hand they had the Bible, and in the other hand they had Paradise Lost. Paradise mm. Lost. Mm -hmm. So when you, incredible. So, so, so you're saying there that the, I mean, because that's a work of incredible literary, I mean, it's a masterpiece regarded mm. as a masterpiece. Yeah. And, and, and Ellen White here is, is I, what I love about what you said there, Sylvia, is her choice of words. Mm. I'll often find myself going, that's the perfect yeah, word yeah. there. Yes. That's the perfect yes. word there. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into this together. Um, uh, let, I'll just read here as we often do just to sort of get a little momentum and get moving here. I'll read the first few paragraphs and if at any point you think, hey, let's just pause right there. Okay. It says, and when they had come to the place called Calvary... There they crucified him. That's paragraph one. It's really just a single sentence. Then second paragraph, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, Christ suffered outside the gate, Hebrews 13, 12. For the transgression of the law of God, Adam and Eve were banished from Eden. Right, there's the systematic perspective. Christ our substitute was to suffer outside the boundaries of Jerusalem. He died outside the gate where felons and murderers were executed. Full of significance are the words, quoting Galatians three thirteen. Christ, Messiah, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So she really launches, before she actually gets into the narrative, because then the next paragraph begins, a vast multitude followed. Mm -hmm. She sets it up with Hebrews 13, 12 and Galatians 3, 13. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fascinating. You guys got anything there? Or it will come up in the course or anything you want to add? Yeah. So, do you want to go first? Go so, um, so what this brings up for me, when she says, having become a curse for us, mm. this takes me immediately to 2 Corinthians 5, 19, mm -hmm. where... Um, he was made sin, the Bible says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. So we have first the incarnation that mm. John 1, where the, we have the becoming. Mm. And then now we have a different, um, we could say kenosis. So in Philippians 2, you have the 
digression or the, the descending of the emptying into... And, and Philippians 2 is so important. Central it's to central yeah. to Ellen White's understanding of the whole incarnation. The obedience unto death, even death on a cross. Exactly. She's, we're going to get into that too in Hebrews chapter 5. And because she... And we'll get to that later. But this whole chapter, what's happening here, she says... God, this is page 876, and we'll get to it there. But God's purpose was reaching its fulfillment. Jesus was earning the right, right. to become the advocate exactly. of men. And yep, so, yeah, yep, yep, yep. That, that's kind of an, an introduction to what we're going to see uh, as she unpacks that. Yeah, Ellen White never strays far at all from Philippians 2. In fact, she never yes. leaves from that. That is clearly, because it's all the way back in the first chapter, yeah. I mean, and just again and again and again. And very often, even when she's not quoting it directly, mm-hmm. it's there. It's mm-hmm. implicit. Yeah. Johnny, what do you got? Yeah, so, you know, if, if you've been to Israel and Jerusalem, which would be really cool to take the group, there's a, there's a top, topographical element of going to Jerusalem. You have to go up. And um, what mm. I thought was kind of interesting is Jesus spent his whole life trying to, for lack of a better term, get into Jerusalem. And he, and he almost like he doesn't fit in. He's trying to go there the first time. He's mm. trying to go there. He's trying to go there. But they won't, they won't kind of let him in. And it's very interesting that... That first that paragraph that we're looking at the beginning, where it basically says, you know, he suffered without the gate. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like he's looking gotcha. longingly. He's he's hoping mm-hmm. that they'll let him in. And I just remember that that passage there in Psalms where it says, "Lift up your gates, lift um, up your head, or lift your up gates. your head, or your gates. Let the King of Glory come in." Jesus was always wanting to come into Jerusalem, and it's like they won't let him in. They won't let him in. So the crowning act is he'll actually at some point make it in. Beautiful, incredible. And, and that it, chapter alludes to heaven when mm. he's crowned after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus spent so much of his time in the north, up in Galilee, mm-hmm. and even north of Galilee, uh, into Phoenicia. And one of the reasons, his disciples were mystified that he spent so little time in Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. But there's this fascinating little thing that happens, not only in the Gospels, it also happens in the ministry of Paul, where the further that mm-hmm. Jesus gets from Jerusalem mm-hmm. and the further that Paul gets from Jerusalem, the more reception, the more mm-hmm. openness, mm-hmm. the more... And so when he goes back, in the physical sense, he could go into Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but his Jerusalem never received it. Yeah. Well, they did at the triumphal entry, but they were actually receiving a misunderstanding of Messiah, mm-hmm. right? Like they weren't receiving what Jesus was actually coming to do. And she says in this chapter that not a few of those who were cheering and saying, woo, Hosanna to the son of David in the highest, were also now saying, crucify him. Because they had the version of the Messiah that they wanted in the triumphal entry. So So from the perspective of the mom, we have that section where she has question after question after question. Yes. And she's like, can this happen? Is he going to allow this Mm -hmm. to happen? How many times had they taken up stones to stone him, to destroy him. And each time something happened, an angel intervened, Jesus kind of disappeared from the scene. And she's thinking, is this actually going to take place? Judas didn't believe it was going to happen. Correct. Mary didn't believe it. But she does say that, that she says that she, that Mary thought even now he'll intervene. Even, surely this is the moment. And okay. So, okay. Excellent. So now we're in the third paragraph there. A vast multitude followed Jesus from the judgment hall to Calvary. The news of his condemnation had spread throughout Jerusalem and people of all classes and ranks flocked toward the place of crucifixion. The priests and rulers had been bound by a promise not to molest Christ's followers if he himself were delivered to them and the disciples and believers from the city and the surrounding region joined the throng that followed the Savior. Just a question about that. Was that an internal promise? I was a little confused on that. Mm, yeah. I was, I was wondering if it was connected to the story of Judas 
you know, where he's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to pay you this much, but hey, don't touch his followers. I was wondering, who did he promise that to? Yeah, okay. It seems like there was some sort of an arrangement or an agreement, like a gentleman's agreement. Yeah, like, hey. that's what I got as well. That okay. they, when they, when they, yeah, because you're saying it's between the rulers. So if you do this, if we give him over to you, you guys are safe. Yeah. yeah. So it could have been a part of the arrangement with Judas yeah. is what you're saying. Okay. That's as Jesus passed the gate of Pilate's court, the cross, which had been prepared for Barabbas, a lot of symbolism here, was laid upon his bruised and bleeding shoulders. Two companions of Barabbas were to suffer death at the same time with Jesus, and upon them also crosses were placed. The Savior's burden was too heavy for him in his weak and suffering condition since the Passover supper with his disciples. This was amazing. He had taken neither food nor drink. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's a long time to go without hydration. He's severely right. dehydrated. Mm -hmm. right. Uh, he had agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane because he's sweating there. So that's the loss of fluids, right? Uh, he had endured the anguish of the betrayal and had seen his disciples forsake him. And then to Pilate. From Pilate, he had been sent to Herod and then sent again to Pilate from insult to renewed insult. All that night, there had been scene after scene of a character to try the soul of man to the uttermost. And then these four words, Christ had not failed. Mm. He had spoken no word that tended but that tended to glorify God. Mm. All through the disgraceful farce of a trial, mm. great word, he had borne himself with firmness and dignity, but when after the second scourging of the cross was laid upon him, human nature could bear no more, he fell mm. fainting beneath the burden. We're there. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I am right mm -hmm. there. And she does a great job of setting up the incredible physical pain and and the endurance that must have been required in order for him to even make an attempt to carry the cross, but he couldn't. Mm -hmm. And she says he faint. She uses that word numerous times. He fainted. He fainted. He fainted. Literally, he collapsed under the weight of the cross. Mm. You know, I was going to mention something that that part of where he says um, Christ had not failed. It almost seems in juxtaposition to something that's stated, I think, in chapter 73, where she says, as the world's redeemer, Christ was constantly confronted with apparent a failure. Apparent yeah. failure. He, the messenger of mercy to our world, seemed to do little of the work he longed to do in uplifting and saving. So it's like, it seems like, did you actually get anything done? Mm. And then, like, he's fainting, and he's falling, and he's stumbling, and he's, and he's going to come to that, and she's saying, he hasn't failed. She makes the point that, that what looked like failure, not only to Jesus, but to the early church, in retrospect, looking back, was an uninterrupted mm -hmm. series of successes. Yeah. Right. And we saw this, too, when we were in the chapter on, um, was it not, well, Gethsemane, we saw it, but we saw it especially in the, the Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, mm -hmm. where there was like the burden, the abandonment of the disciples again, and the glorification. So mm -hmm. it's this juxtaposition of the darkness and the light, the darkness mm -hmm. and the light. And we see this again in this chapter. I feel that from the from the baptism, you have that foreshadowing the transfiguration, and then you have the transfiguration foreshadowing the, the cross. And they're all kind of connected and expanding on the information. That yeah, they're almost like the, the tops of a series of peaks in the Gospels, and they're all yes. like in a line. They're all yeah. heading somewhere. Now, I, I'm just going to do a plug here for my, my dissertation. No, um, here. It's on the sanctuary covenant structure, and I'm, it's focusing exactly on peaks. And so what I discovered is oh. that in the book of Exodus, there are seven mountains, seven yes. peaks. And then what I worked on last summer is finding how that becomes the type of spirituality, a biblical spirituality, that Christ then fulfills in his... Uh, earthly ministry. So each of those events in the life of Israel as the covenant is developed through the sanctuary and the promises of God, which I liken to a marriage mm. um, because God says, I, 
I didn't fail. I was a husband to them, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're the ones who failed. And so I see this happening again. So when you say they're mountain peaks, my, my kids are like, mom, don't talk about the mountain again. No, no more mountains. <laughs> no more. So you're saying, just so I'm clear on that, Sylvia, that's fascinating. You're mm-hmm. saying there are seven mountains in Exodus, did you say, or yeah. in the Old Testament? So no, it, just in Exodus. Exodus. So, wow. And I, I, found, I was taking a class from Davidson and I'm like, this is there. I want to jump from this to the role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Who's done this work and that I can cite and then continue to go on to the role of the Holy Spirit in, in mm. establishing the spirituality, which I saw develop there. He says, nobody's done it. So uh, basically you have the third, so the chapter three is where God appears to Moses at the burning bush and that mm. establishes the foundation, the ontological foundation, which is what my father did for his dissertation, the ontological foundation from which God then reveals, continues to reveal his character. Right. And so you have that and then in chapter, so that whole would be the courtship process mm-hmm. because it's like into a marriage. So from that point on, then he says, I'm going to reveal my power to you and you will know when you come back and mm. worship me on this, what will be the sign? Mm. You will know when you You'll come, come back, back here yeah. and worship me on this. So then uh, 19 is the proposal. Right, mm. he he offers them. He says Exodus nineteen. So Exodus have, three is the courtship. Exodus nineteen right. is the proposal. We're at Sinai. Yes, you have seen how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so from that point on, God says, if you will accept this, you will become to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Mm. And Israel says yes. And the next one is okay. I'm going to come down, purify yourselves. And so it's the preparation for that wedding because that mm. becomes the wedding moment. And then God comes down and says his promises. Now, the way in which, and I, we're kind of deviating on this. Mm-hmm. No, but I know where you're going. I know exactly what you're going to say there. The promise thing in the commands. Yes. They're all promises. They're all promises. And so the way in which the structure appears, you can see it either as a command or a promise. And so what happens, You will no longer. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And so this is the way. The whole thing is is, is seeped in, in mercy and in grace. Mm-hmm. The second commandment, which is the central one, which they break. And God comes down in chapter 34 and establishes his glory, his name mm-hmm. as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, mm-hmm. gracious God. Mm-hmm. Um, when that happens, that's actually a chiastic reversal mm-hmm. of, cha- of um, commandment number two. So the, c- the second commandment is the one about idol worship, mm-hmm. but uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're totally digressing. So, But just, just on that, I, 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 don't, I don't mind the digression at all. The point that you're making that I absolutely love is that God is courting, he's wooing yes, Israel yes. to himself. And that's his name. So the second commandment mm. says, I am a jealous God. And after the apostasy of Israel, he says in chapter 34, he says, I not only am jealous, mm. my name is, jealous. is Kana. My name is jealous because he is our husband. He's given mm. everything for us. And they had accepted it. They mm. accepted the conditions. And then a few minutes later, they're off, you know, with a golden calf. Mm-hmm. So it just, in a literal orgy, in a literal orgy. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, thank you for that. That's that's completely appropriate. Um, so now we're we're well and truly in the scene, and Jesus is given the cross. He cannot bear under it. He he falls and faints. I'm reading again here. The crowd that followed the Savior saw his weak and staggering steps, but they manifested no compassion. They taunted and reviled him because he could not carry the heavy cross. Again, the burden was laid upon him, and again he felt fell fainting to the ground. His persecutors saw that it was impossible for him to carry his burden further. They were puzzled to find anyone who would, this is fascinating, who would bear the humiliating load. The Jews themselves could not do this because the defilement would prevent them from keeping the Passover. Fascinating. None of the mob that followed them would stoop to bear the cross. And so there, there's this moment of like temporary confusion, like, ah, oh, this guy oh, can't good. carry his cross. None of the Roman soldiers want to carry the cross. So they're, they're, they're it's this awkward moment. That's a great word. And they're, pausing to say, okay, how are we going to get this cross 
up this hill. You can do it? No. You? And they didn't carry the whole cross, is my understanding. The, the larger, the vertical beam usually remained in the location. They carried, I think, what's called the patabellum, mm. which is the horizontal beam. So you have to drag that thing up there. And this is all a part of the humiliation. Because at the end of the day, crucifixion was not primarily about death. It was about humiliation. It was about dishonor. It was and about being shame. being a deterrent for other people. Exactly. To avoid that. Exactly. It's this a show. This is what will happen to you. This is how you'll It's a end giant up. show. It's a show that's designed to inst- instill fear and a sense of absolute, you know, that's the, the last thing that you want. There's this incredible um, commentary that I read um, oh, several years ago. I've read it actually a couple times by Sigvay Tonstead on the Book of Romans and uh, Paul Among the Ecologists. And in there, he has a lengthy section where he talks about psychologically <laughs> what the cross symbolized to those that were subjugated by the Romans. Mm. And it was just a gigantic skull and crossbones deterrent. Mm. Do not cross this mm. line. And a Roman citizen, Cicero tells us, couldn't even be crucified. Right. It was that humiliating, that hideous, and that terrible. And so when they're getting ready to take Jesus to the top of the hill there, they can't find anybody else. And lo and behold, they see Simon. Mm-hmm. Right? Simon, a Cyrenian. Um, they lay hold on him. And uh, then she says, I love this. He expresses his compassion. You know, they, they just see, like apparently the scene is, is he's just pausing and he's looking and there's compassion on his face and the compassion is yeah. the giveaway. They're like, ah, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. That's the guy. And they grab him. But I think, don't you think later, because of what he says, that the Holy Spirit also inspired them to do this mm. because for the rest of his life, that became... A blessing, a, she yeah, says. Yeah. Yeah. The bearing of the cross to Calvary was a blessing to Simon and he was ever after grateful for this providence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, in a in prior chapter, he said, um, unless, if you want to follow me, take up your take cross. Take up your cross. And so bef- this, I don't know if he heard it, if his sons had told him or what, but he's taking up not just his own cross, he's taking up the cross of Jesus and helping carry his load. Mm. I mean, the, the blessing of that and his afterlife. He's the only one, he's the only one in, in all of humanity that's got yes. this privilege. Yes. I actually took his cross. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get to meet Simon <laughs> and say, you're the one, you're the guy. Wow. Absolutely incredible. Then in that next paragraph, not a few women are in the crowd that follow the uncondemned. And I love that Ellen White will often do that. She'll use a word, sometimes even an adjective, very often a noun, and then she'll capitalize it to sort of sanctify it and let you know that's just so good that follow the capital uncondemned to his cruel death. And then I love this in that next paragraph there. She says, Jesus is paying attention to none of this. He's so focused. He's, he knows that he's in the very crucible moment here, satanic temptation, the temptation of the men. All of this is a continual temptation to him to break. Mm. And then he hears something. And it's the mm. only thing that catches his attention. This was the only thing that attracted Christ's attention. This is the crying of the women. Although full of suffering while bearing the sins of the world, he was not indifferent to the expression of grief. He looked upon these women with it. I think this is Ellen White's favorite word in describing Jesus. She uses it more than any other word. Tender. Tender compassion. They were not believers, and he knew that they were not lamenting him as one sent from God, but were moved by feelings of just basic human pity. He did not despise their sympathy, but it awakened in him a deeper sympathy for them. And then he says, you know, famously, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. And we sometimes hear that quoted like a kind of a, almost a rebuke, 
almost a spiteful rebuke, like mm-hmm. don't, don't weep for me, you're gonna get it worse. That's not what's happening mm-hmm. here. Jesus, amid all of the noise and the confusion, the thing that he hears that arrests his attention is weeping and his heart goes out, just as it did in Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though he's undergoing the crushing, agonizing experience of Gethsemane, his heart goes out to his disciples. Here, he hears weeping and is, he's just, he's tuned into it, mm-hmm. right? He just, yeah. and he, he sees and, and he, he says, no, don't weep for me. Mm-hmm. But you, you think he's anticipating the destruction of Jerusalem? Of course, mm-hmm. this is. This is Daniel 9, right? This is Reject Daniel the Messiah, 9. the city is destroyed. Correct. You know, mm-hmm. you, you reiterated that in one of our presentations. And so he's anticipating that. And this reminds me the other time that there was an addressing to the daughters of Jerusalem or the daughters of Zion mm. was uh, Isaiah chapter three, where he's talking to the daughters of Zion and saying, you're going around now and you're you know, wearing your fineries, but the moment is going to come and you need to anticipate that moment and prepare for it mm. in the sense of uh, it's a warning out of love to the time is coming. So it's not like worse is going to happen to you, but because, and, and remember the prophecy, like I think this would have also taken them back. Mm-hmm. I mean, the book of Isaiah, he also says, you will have branding instead of beauty, instead mm. of the sweet smell of mm. stench, instead of the sash, the rope, mm. instead of the ridge robe, the girding of the sackcloth and ashes. Mm. And so he's saying, anticipate it and do what you can to prevent it. Correct. Mm. I, I see it more as a, as a warning. No, it's a warning. It's a yeah. warning. And I, I'm so passionate, Sylvia, about dis- distinguishing between a mm. warning about mm. what is to come and a threat about what I will do right. to you. Right. That's not what's right. happening here. Yeah. I mean, we have God's heart on display in mm. Christ and he is so tenderly in tune to any... Thing that registers in his mind as sympathy. Yes, yes. I mean, this is a guy who can snap his fingers and be out of the situation in a moment and exact a vengeful punishment and retribution on these people. He's not doing that. That's right. So clearly that's not what he's saying here. This, mm-hmm. And then she says, you know, in the destruction of Jerusalem, this would be a symbol of the final destruction of the world. And so yes. you quoting Isaiah there is highly appropriate. It's very interesting because this is like the second time that there's people crying at the sight of Jesus being bruised and beaten and mangled. There's that other time in the inside, and in, I think it was in the Praetorium somewhere, where the, the people were, Oh, that's right. She says that crying. some people were just weeping over the spectacle. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And then here we have a second time where they're crying. But I thought here, I, I just put a little thought, they thought they were sad for Jesus, but in reality, Jesus was sadder for them. Mm. It, it, they're like, oh man, look at him. Oh, look at his back. Oh, too man, bad. that must hurt. Oh, his head, look at that. But in reality, it's, it awakens something that's much more profound, much more deeper. And it's not just for them. It's, it's for the for world. It's for children yeah. and it's for all of humanity. And when you think about Josephus, and Josephus was prone to exaggeration, we know that. But when you think about Josephus' description of the destruction of Jerusalem, it's mm-hmm. horrific. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely mm-hmm. horrific mm-hmm. what took place there. Um, Okay, so let's just jump down a couple paragraphs there. Uh, I'm on the paragraph now that says, and if I skip anything, by all means, reel me back. Of the multitude, so I'm on page 875 of Types and Symbols 744 of the original. Can you read that paragraph for us, Sylvia, of the multitude that followed the Savior? Sure, all the way down? The yeah, just read ahead. it until, if, if anything stops you, then... Okay. Of the multitude that followed the Savior to Calvary, many had attended him with joyful hosannas and the waving of palm branches as he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. But not a few who had then shouted his praise because it was so popular to do so, Mm. now swelled the cry of crucify him, crucify him. When Christ rode into Jerusalem, the hopes of the disciples had been raised to the highest pitch. 
they had pressed closer above their about their master, feeling that it was a high honor to be connected with him. Now, in his humiliation, they followed him at a distance. Hmm. They were filled with grief and bowed down with disappointed hopes. How were the words of Jesus verified? All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Okay. So this paragraph does a really great job of encapsulating the expectation of what Messiah would do and be and say and accomplish and what's actually happening in front of them. And if the disciples who spent three years with Jesus were unprepared for the scenes in front of them, what was everybody else? Mm -hmm. There's no sense in which people would have looked at what was happening there, a man who can't even bear up under the weight of his cross and thought, you know, that that's the Messiah. That's the Davidic king. That's the one right there. Nobody thought that. And even later, decades later, when Paul would go, you know, around the Mediterranean world preaching, he would say, when we show up and we tell people this, it's foolishness or it's scandal. It's a scandal. Like they could not get their mind around the idea that Messiah would do this because it looks like, and this is the key, it looks like a manifestation of absolute weakness and defeat and failure. And yet the, the reverse is true. It's a whole different kind of power, a whole different kind of might. It's the power of patience and the might of love and, and forbearance and forgiveness and mercy. But this is not comprehended then. It's comprehended now by us with the benefit of some 2,000 years. But at the time, nobody thought, you know, I think that guy's the Messiah. Yeah, and, and something, I don't know if this is the place to bring it up, but this whole chapter to me, and she brings it up, I think, in the next page, um, where she says to fulfill the prophecy of um, of Psalm 22. So there's yeah. two Psalms that she looks at. But that one, to me, part of what's happening is that the whole structure, and these are the seven last words of Jesus. So, you know, there's seven pronouncements that he makes, and yep. so these become very meaningful, and the church holds on to these. But there's something about each one of them that she unpacks. And I was also thinking, David, about your... You know how you say there's there's chapters where you worship and there's chapters yeah, where you learn that yeah. are primarily didactic or primarily about yeah, worship? Totally. This one to me was so worshipful. Mm. Because, Agreed. Agreed. Because mm. the next one, you know, the it is it is finished. Finished, right? So this is a prelude. Here we have the narrative. And so I feel like the chapters that are primarily narrative mm. were echehomo, where we see the man, we see mm. the man in his in his love and in his his expression Correct. of sympathy, we worship. And mm-hmm. then the chapters, and they, she weaves in applications throughout of them. But the next chapter is the bomb. I mean, the next chapter is all about ap- applying what it's happens in this Correct. One. It's far more theologically intense than oh, this yeah. one. But this is a great point. If you jump down on that, just to the bottom of the next paragraph there, the one that begins arriving at the place of execution, she says expressly what we were just hinting at there. She says, with the disciples, she, uh, I think we're talking about, are we on Mary now? Yeah. Yes. With the disciples, she, Mary, cherished the hope that Jesus would manifest his power and deliver himself from his enemies. Again, her heart. So we're, we're, I guess we missed, I missed the point there. Yeah, here we are. We're talking about Mary. And this is the paragraph that you alluded to earlier where she asks this series of questions, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm on page 876. Do you want to read those questions for us? It begins with, would he who had given his life? Uh, for me? Yeah, please. Yeah. Would he who had given his life um, to the dead, suffer himself to be crucified? Wow. Would the Son of God suffer himself to be thus cruelly slain? Must she mm. give up her faith that Jesus mm. was the Messiah? Mm. Must she witness his shame and sorrow without even the privilege of ministering to him in his distress? Incredible. Mm. I mean, so, so 
Mary is, is it safe to say, with the possible exception of John, is really the only one who's, mm. who's still there? Yeah. Right? I mean, is that it? Is it Mary and John? Am I missing anybody here? Well, don't, I, I think uh, Luke maybe talks about the other Mary. There was the Mary. Uh, the yeah, Mary. that's right. You're right. So I think there was at least one other Mary. And I guess you could throw in Simon as a possible encouragement there. Simon the Cyrenian that's just yes. been sort of grabbed. But, but, but Mary here has believed all along that Jesus was the Messiah. But she didn't understand, as no one did, what that would mean. But there was that initial prophecy all the way back in the temple when Jesus was very young yes. that a sword will, will pierce, pierce your own your heart also. also. So, yeah. so she, she must be having a recollection of Luke that in this moment. Yeah. It must be, mm-hmm. right? She Absolutely. must be, Luke 235. 235. She must be thinking about that. I think it's very interesting that she's kind of having that struggle, internal struggle of like asking those questions, you know? Mm. Kind of like what... Calvary was her Gethsemane, so to speak. You know, yeah. she's dealing with, hey, this is what he told me, but this is this is showing different. But is that really going to happen? Does that mean, oh, it, it looks like that's where it's headed? And mm. she's having to have that internal fight and struggle. Mm. So then she says in the next paragraph that Jesus remains calm and serene. He prays for his enemies. Mm. Father, forgive them. They do not what they do not know what they do. She says there was no curses were called down. No vengeance was invoked. He only breathed a plea for their forgiveness. They do not know what they do. She then says of the Roman soldiers in particular, had they known that they were putting to torture the one who had come to save the sinful race from eternal ruin, they would have been seized with remorse and horror, but their ignorance did not remove their Mm. guilt. This is quite fascinating. Again and again, she makes the point about comparative guilt, Mm -hmm. right? She she says that Pilate was... Less, less guilty, guilty than, than Caiaphas. Mm-hmm. And she's, I love the fact that, that Ellen White was adamant about fairness and mm-hmm. God's fairness. And, but she does say that just the treatment of another human being in this way, whether or not it's the Messiah, she says they were still guilty. They were guilty. Mm-hmm. Because there's something in us that knows it's wrong. You know, we've been living in a time right now, and I don't want to go too far down this track, but we're living in a time where everybody is carrying around with them basically high definition cameras. And when you have a lot of, and there's been a lot of unrest in the streets all over the world and in the United States of America. And so what's happening more and more is that we're getting those videos that are like the Rodney King. Remember when Rodney King was beaten in LA back in the 90s, was it 90s? And that was like an unusual thing because somebody had to have had a video camera and be, you know, but now the the internet is like flooded with, with, with examples of people mistreating other people. I mean, even people getting shot now, we see this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys have the same sort of experience that I have. Whenever I see that, I just think, I don't wanna see this. No. I, I, I hate the fact, number one, that these things happen. People are being hurt, people are being harmed, people are being shot, people are being stabbed, people are being uh, you know, prevailed upon and, and beaten. And then somebody's there videoing it, which I get, but I don't want to see that. I don't want to. And I think at, at that level here, the the soldiers were like, they should not have been doing this, but they were hardened. Well, and also not just the natural inclination that they had lost that sensitivity, that just yes. the humanity, but also she says in their ignorance, it, that did not remove their guilt for it was their privilege to know and accept Jesus as their savior. Later, their, she says. No, she says it in the same. Oh, thing. gotcha. I thought maybe. No, no, I was just saying right? later. In other words, they could later reflect oh, back yeah. and be like, you know what? I think that I think that was. If this was their first exposure. Exactly. Pretty, yeah. So it depends on when they heard it and how they responded. And what they right. knew. Right, right. Um, 
because obviously we're going to have the soldier in the wake of the death of Jesus say, truly, this yes. was the Son of God. Mm. And, and she says in the chapter yesterday that even Pilate started to have, she says that Pilate had kind of a vague mm. belief in powers that were greater mm. than humans. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it did occur to him when he saw Jesus there clothed in that terrible mm-hmm. robe with the blood on his face and the way that he was behaving, he thought, this, is, this guy's more than human. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It occurred to him. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like the fact here that she says that their ignorance did not completely um, obviate their guilt, but... Well, the second Pilate saw him, don't, I mean, don't you think there was something about his presence that immediately yeah. impacted... I mean, he was... She says that. She right. says that there were, no, there were no friendly eyes, yeah. but right. when he saw... He's like... Oh, exactly. Wow. He's annoyed. He's woken up early yeah, in the morning, yeah. like you guys were saying last night. Yeah. He goes there. He's ready to get this over and done with. But there's something about that immediate visage that he's like, there is this man is holy. There is a light that is above Correct. him. And these soldiers are like, wait, are you not seeing? I mean, if someone as hard as, as Pilate can see it, then certainly these could have seen it too. Fair so point. There was, no, mm-hmm. totally. I, I mm-hmm. love the fact that you brought mm-hmm. that up. And we're only dealing with this from sort of an external aesthetic perspective the Holy Spirit the whole time is speaking yes. to the hearts of every single person saying, this is Messiah, this is Messiah, this is Messiah, this is Messiah. I mean, Amen. the Holy Spirit is tailor-making that message for every person, their unique circumstance, situation, their thoughts. Their, and the Spirit of God is saying to them, behold the Lamb of God mm-hmm. that takes away the mm-hmm. sin of the world. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, then that next paragraph, Johnny, read to us the one that says, that prayer of Christ for his enemies. Are you there? Oh, can I just interject? Yeah, Yeah, please. Um, I'm just going to read that passage I mentioned before, this passage that really stood out to me. God's purpose was reaching its fulfillment. So Mm. we've seen from the very beginning that the whole purpose, the plan of salvation, the promise that's reaching its climax here from uh, Exodus, Genesis 3.15. Then we see again Hebrews, the great sundering. Mm. Mm. Uh, Sorry, not Hebrews. um, uh, Where is the... Again, Genesis chapter 12 and 15. So Mm. chapter 15, where there's the moment of the sacrifice, the great sundering of the divine powers. Yeah. Um, at that moment, that rendering, rending, that sundering apart is what we're seeing happen throughout this. And it's a gradual process Correct. that begins in Gethsemane, continues Correct. here. And so she talks about the, in the gerund, she says he was earning, he was in the mm-hmm. process of earning mm-hmm, the right mm-hmm. to become the advocate. Right. And this just, I just want to read briefly because one of the chapters, the um, sections here, this Percopean in Hebrews chapter five, or actually just keep, I'll, I'll find it. Well, it's funny. You, you find what you're looking for there, Sylvia, because I'm very interested. But I just saw Hannah, Johnny, your wife, just said, what page are we on? And she's at work. <laughs> must, be slow, must be a slow day at the bank. Awesome. Right? God bless you, Hannah. We're so glad you're there. She's sending up the prayer and the thanks. So, uh, so the idea of advocate. Hey, Hannah. Um, the idea of the advocate is um, here. So in, in chapter 5, verse 4, he also says in Hebrews another Hebrews 5, 4. Uh-huh. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So this was his, his job... Uh, uh, description who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears yeah. to him we're thinking Gethsemane yeah. who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear the angel came down and, yeah. and brought him though he was a son yet, yet he, he learned, learned obedience by, by the things that, that he suffered, suffered. Yeah. and having yeah. been perfected so he's in the process of being perfected of arriving at this telos which the word it is written uh, it is written it is finished at the very end yeah, here. tell us Mm-hmm. Is is the te- is the telos it, that we've reached the conclusion? So he's mm-hmm. becoming the author of eternal salvation, the point where this is all pointing to, um, and that is how he earns the right mm-hmm. to become our advocate and our mm-hmm. high priest. And Ellen White says that she expressly yes. says that that she's got Hebrews five in yes. the mind there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I actually had this idea, Sylvia, it would be way too ambitious, but imagine if somebody went through, it, I think it would almost be an impossible task, mm. and, and, and it found every scriptural reference, not only the express scriptural references that she describes, but the way that she's alluding, she's using the language, like we were talking about Philippians 2. I mean, yeah. Ellen White at this point in her life, she's in her, what, late 60s, mm-hmm. early 70s as she's writing this. Her mind is so suffused in scripture mm-hmm. that she's very often just writing things and the textual basis is there. She was like the consummate systematician, right? Like it was yes. in her DNA. Yes, she was, yeah. And as she's writing, these things are just flowing out of her pen. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've made this point again and again. You know, I approach the ministry of Ellen White and the writings of Ellen White from the strong conviction that there is an inspirational element going on there, that she had insights that were not just the sort of textual insights that somebody might get from study, that God showed her things. But even if you don't accept that at the outset or you're iffy about that, fine, just read the writings themselves and and enter into the experience and ask yourself this one question. Is this increasing Mm. my love, affection, appreciation, for God and Jesus or decreasing it. Just the, my mom would say the proof is in the pudding. Just, just go to the text. And I just love the fact that we don't have to make this big announcement about, oh, here's all the proofs and here's all the evidence. It's like, just, just read the book. Mm-hmm. Just read the book. And you know, I've, I've noted this before, but it's probably as good a time as any to remind ourselves that in this series that I think is really good, the Chosen series, yeah. Um, Dallas Jenkins on his Instagram account yes, you said that. shows the desire of ages. And when he puts the camera on the desire of ages, he says unique, unique vision. vision. Yeah. I heard you say that. Where, where... I'll show you to, I've, yeah, I've got it on okay. my phone. I'll show it to you. I'll give it to you actually. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, it's incredible. Uh, even he recognized, can you share that with the group with our team? How would I do it? How would I do it? Oh, you know what I'll do is I'll just put it up. I'll just put it up as an Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put it up as an Instagram. Yeah. Great idea. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Um, but, but the idea here that, like yourself and no doubt like you as well, Johnny, I've read lots and lots and lots of books mm-hmm. about the crucifixion, books about Jesus, about the history, about the theology. Mm-hmm. But Ellen White, she's coming from over here. That's, that's a good mm-hmm. observation, unique contribution, unique vision. She writes with an authority, mm-hmm. but not with a I told you so authority. She just is writing mm-hmm. what she saw. And I just feel I'm very often under the conviction of the spirit. I'm just like, whoa, yes. God is doing something to my heart. Um, so Johnny, read that paragraph there if you would, that okay. prayer of Christ for his enemies. It says, that prayer of Christ for his enemies embrace the world. It took in every sinner that had lived or should live from the beginning of the world to the end of time. Upon all rest the guilt of crucifying the Son of God to all forgiveness is freely offered Whosoever will may have peace with God and inherit eternal life. So I love the, the purposeful play there on upon all and to all. Mm. Upon all rests the guilt and to all yes. forgiveness mm. is freely mm. offered. Yes. And I just think that is so mm. awesome. So then we get to this point about the sign, right? She has this lengthy section here on the sign. Mm-hmm. You know, Pilate writes, this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the, the, the Jewish leadership was greatly irritated by this, mm. right? And they said, no, 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 no. Don't say this is the king of the Jews. Say he said he was the king of the Jews. And then Pilate says, um, what I have written, I have written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, this is absolutely incredible. She says here, I'm going to read. This is from the paragraph that begins, as soon as Jesus was nailed to the cross, a, just about a little less than, a little more than halfway down. The inscription was a virtual, this is incredible insight to me. 
The inscription was a virtual acknowledgement of the allegiance of the Jews to the Roman power. What had they said, Johnny? We We have no king but Caesar. It declared that whoever might claim to be the king of Israel would be judged by them worthy of death. The priests had overreached themselves, jumping down a couple sentences, the last sentence of the paragraph, in order to destroy Christ, they had been ready to sacrifice even their national existence. And this is what I wrote. I wrote here, as a, as a commentary on that, this was not just a denial of Jesus as the Messiah, but a repudiation of the whole notion of a coming king yes, and deliverer. That was That's what she's saying. Too. Yes, mm-hmm. because before on Whoa. page uh, 860, which you guys did 867 mm-hmm. last night, when they said we have no king but Caesar, her comment was, Thus, by choosing a heathen ruler, the Jewish nation had withdrawn from theocracy, they rejected God, and they had no deliverer. There was no more Messiah. Mm-hmm. They said, we now, our allegiance is 100% to Caesar. We it's to Caesar, no it's Messiah. to Rome. That's right. They yeah. literally are announcing, tacitly announcing, and they sensed it. They knew that they had, she says, overreached here. Right. They had overplayed. Yeah. So when Pilate... It's kind of funny. It's, it's, it's poetic justice. It's poetic yeah. justice is what it is. And when Pilate puts this up, I mean, what's going through Pilate's mind? Does he believe this at some level? I think he does. Or is, it can't be just a term of mockery. My, his wife yeah. has a dream. Yep. Yep. So and that know. dream was incredible. Ellen White's description of that dream, yeah. it goes all the way through down to the second coming. It was, and it was, yeah. three, it was in three series. First, she talks to him and dialogues with Jesus directly. She doesn't tell us what Jesus says. So he's talking to her one-on-one. And then she sees the vision almost live as it's happening. And then she goes to the end. So she has, maybe the talk is like from before. I don't know, but there's a, sequ- a sequence. There's a that sequence happens. there, a very mm. clear yes. sequence. Yes. Wouldn't that be amazing if Pilate's yes. wife was saved? Oh, yeah. I think she was. I think she was. I mean, yeah. I, right? Like because God, she said horror. She woke yeah. up with horror. Horror yes. and have nothing to do with that righteous Just man. Yeah. 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 She one of the most thrilling things about the new heaven and the new earth is going to see all of the, you know how it is when you hear a story, a testimony of somebody that you're like, whoa, that person got it's saved. Incredible. We only see the very tip of the tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg on that. When we get to the new heaven and the new earth and we yes. start meeting people, we're going to be like, what? Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. You, I mean, mm-hmm. and the case in point here is on display in this chapter, the thief on the cross. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thief on the cross that's you the can be the there winner. in, uh, I but just, I, I just want to insert, there's a great book coming out in the sanctuary, which like hopefully this year, I mean, they're, mm. they're putting it, it's, it's Dr. Davidson, Richard mm. Davidson's song for the sanctuary. And the last or one of the last chapters there is by Oliver Glantz, who's an old Testament scholar here at the seminary. And it's on the postmodern or the significance of the sanctuary for the postmodern mind. And one of the things he says that so mm. resonates with me is that when we get to heaven, he believes that we will have during, whether it's those thousand years or throughout eternity, mm. where we will study each other's stories. There will be a colloquium on David Asherick's life where we will have in mm. technicolor vision, we will be able to see oh, all the different moments wow. where the Holy Spirit, you know, all the decisions you could Agreed. have made, went in one direction or the other, how you were influenced one way or the other, and study you or and study yeah, you, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think because that's appealing to the postmodern mind, our stories, our narratives are so beautiful and we only glimpse the very top of the iceberg and we're so impressed by that. Imagine when we yeah. go down and see the foundation. Stories are incredible. I mean, when you hear a story, uh, you just, you're drawn in. You yes. want to know, you want to, uh, you know, I follow this Instagram account, Humans of New York. Yeah. It's just, and, and these people, they're people you'll never meet, you know, not, but as soon as you see their face and you start reading about their story, you're, you're just drawn in. Yeah. You want to meet them. You want to. Exposure and, is connection. Mm. They become part of yes, your story. Yes, they become a part of mm. your story. Mm-hmm. And this, 
what Ellen White calls the great web of humanity. Of humanity. Oh, oh, I love that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, when we come to the end of our lives, and as a pastor, I end up, you know, at the bedside of a lot of people who are in the last moments of their lives, the last days of their lives. People are always oriented toward relationships, mm-hmm. toward people, toward mm-hmm. individuals, mm-hmm. toward their children, their spouse, mm-hmm. their... We're just wired for this, and it has to be that the primary feature of the new heaven and the new earth, eternity, will not be gold streets, can't wait to see it, swimming with dolphins, can't wait to do it, um, <laughs> flying with eagles, can't wait. It's got to be the, the interpersonal, the dynamics. interpersonal yes. dynamics of getting Coming to know other, other beings, yes. other people. Yes. And, it's, and their stories. Mm-hmm. And how long and is that going to take? Continuous story. It's, well, it's all, all eternity. That's my point. It, yeah. Like... Like right now, I, okay, I know Johnny, just by way of illustration. Yeah. I know Johnny, I know Sylvia. These are friends of mine. I, I know and love them. But there are people, there are literally billions of people in the world no, with no. whom we could be associated. Yes. We could be friends. We could get to know and them. it will change us and perfect us and refine mm-hmm. us by knowing them. One of the things yeah. that Ty Gibson says, and I love it when he says it, is that, that when somebody else says something, it reacts with what you're thinking and then you, a new thing, this cross-pollination is created. Mm. And when you tie that together with the whole web of humanity, it's going to be so incredibly incomprehensibly yeah. mm. beautiful. Mm. Oh man, we're, we're, mm. we're worshiping over here. Mm. We're in full mm. glory mode. Mm. Um, so we were back to the king here. We're, we're back to the, 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 this is Jesus, king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And... And I wrote here that it's still all about form and details for them. It's like, mm. no, don't say, you know, he is the king of the Jews. Say he said he was. Mm. And, oh, no, we don't want to touch the cross because we don't want to be defiled because we still need to keep Passover. Mm. There's, there's <laughs> this fastidiousness about form, about ceremony mm. that masks the brokenness of the heart. Like Jesus had famously said, you're like whitewashed tombs Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know you're trying to get everything just right dot all the i's and and cross all the t's but but what about the weightier matters of the law Mm. truth and Mm. mercy and justice Mm. and then she says that it was actually a higher power that had guided the hand of Pilate Mm. to write what he wrote and uh she says it was a living truth transcribed by the hand that god had guided Beautiful. Then we get into the two Psalms that you mentioned, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, mm-hmm. right? Dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. Did you have any commentary on that? I do. Okay. I do. Well, Let's hear it. What's fascinating to me about this chapter, and it was actually when I was reading, I think there was, um, maybe it was from the book of Ties, um, where he talks about the sundering of God. Um, but when we go to chapter 22, and I'm going to find it here, what's fascinating to me is as I'm reading this chapter again, and I've read it before, um, there is something about the way in which the people are quoting prophecy. So when the, mm. as, as we were reading at the beginning of the chapter, when the scribes and Pharisees come up to him and say things like, um, all those who see me ridicule me, they shoot the lip and shake, wag the head. She talks about, mm-hmm. he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Yeah, there it Let is. him deliver him there since he delights in him. The, they're, they're quoting the prophecy, the prophecy that begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe that when Mm. Jesus is quoting this prophecy, Mm. what he's doing is he's claiming the end result of the prophecy. Because even though you see in it everything Mm. that happens... Who for the joy that set before Mm -hmm. him? Mm -hmm. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. So if you you go to the point where God answers him halfway through the psalm, almost the climactic... We're in Psalm 22. 22, He says, you have answered me. Mm -hmm. So through faith, and she makes this point at least two Mm -hmm. times... 
by faith, and actually we're getting to that, so I'm going to hold on to it, but it was by faith mm. in the prophecies, mm. the word of God in scripture, that Jesus was able to hold on and be faithful to the very end. And mm. at the end, she says, and this is again, we're going back to Philippians 2, that because of this, because of what he's done, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the mm. Lord, and all the families of all the nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Mm. And then the very end of that chapter 22 says that he has done this. It's two words. Uh, it was well, actually one word in Hebrew. It's asa. He did it. Mm-hmm. Like he did it. It's Into, done. It's, it is finished. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I love the fact that Jesus is quoting here as a promise. He's leaning into the, because she's going to make this point. This is a very important theological point. I want to ask you guys some questions about this. But she talks about the withdrawal of the father's mm-hmm. countenance, the, yes. the hiding mm-hmm. of the father's face. And so Jesus has to just go forward and we're going to end here. This is where she ends. And it shows again how steep she was in the mm. central truth of Protestantism, which was by faith alone, through grace mm-hmm. alone, to the glory of God alone. By scripture alone. By scripture alone. Yeah. So, 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 okay, I love all of that. So now we get the, the you know, satanic, satanic-esque uh, uh, temptation. If you are the son of God, come down. And she does the if thing, the if thing. She says this has mm-hmm. all the resonances from Matthew chapter four. If you're the son of God, cast mm-hmm. yourself down from the mm-hmm. temple. And then, so Satan shows up. And of course he's going to show up. I mean, I said yesterday, she talks here about a satanic frenzy. I said yesterday that the cruelty here, the, the fury here is greater than human. Mm-hmm. It's, it's satanic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's demonic. And here she just says it expressly that, mm. that Satan here, and, and we talked about this yesterday, Johnny. Satan doesn't believe for a moment that Jesus is not going to break. Mm-hmm. But maybe, maybe to use our sports analogy again, maybe now they've scored a couple touchdowns or they've made a couple baskets and he's starting to say, hmm, maybe it's not 99%. Maybe now it's only 90%. Yeah, yeah, because the tide is shifting here a little bit. Like in the, in the judgment hall before Caiaphas, Satan's just waiting. Watch this. Watch yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. It's going to happen. He knows. But now he's looking and he's saying, hmm. It's not. I think we're going to win still. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's looking. It may take a little longer. It's going to take a little gotta longer. Got to go to Harry. Got to go to Pilate. Then back. Okay, cool. But it'll happen. But you know what? You know, I'm thinking of, and again, Paradise Lost. So Milton chooses as the theme of Paradise Regained, not the cross, which is what you would expect, but Gethsemane. Mm. He goes through the three temptations. And he basically has, the war in heaven has three parts to mm-hmm. it. And so that's one the thing that I compare. But there's three temptations. And that's what he, he chooses because that is the, the entrance into, that's when the father's face begins to be withdrawn. Yes. He's had, the weight of the world is on his shoulders at that moment. And Ellen White says that when the angel came down, the discouragement, the agony did not cease, but the discouragement left him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what this means is that now he saw the joy that was set before him, the same thing that we mm-hmm. saw at the Mount of Transfiguration, that Moses comes down, Elijah, who are already fruits of this, you know, first fruits. Preach. And, and so mm-hmm. in this moment, what we're seeing is this uh, anticipation. He's anticipating it by faith and by remembering the things that God has told God him. God has done so, in the past. That mm-hmm. God, and so you say, uh, you mm-hmm. kind of skipped over 878, the bottom of that page. So yeah, it's the, the penultimate pen, mm-hmm. uh, paragraph, uh, the penultimate sentence. His faith must keep fast hold upon God. So Christ's faith must keep fast hold upon God. This was his only strength. Mm. And this is our only strength as well. How did I miss that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, She she says it again later. Yeah, she does. I got it later, but I missed that. Yeah. His faith must keep hold upon God. This was 
his faith, this is a reference to his faith, yeah. this was his only strength. Mm. And it's faith in the promises, mm. but it's also faith in what God had said in his life. This is my beloved son. I am pleased with, with mm. you. You will conquer. You mm. don't see my face now. There is no Holy Spirit. There is no optimism. You're mm. completely seeped in discouragement and depression. But, but you hold on to your faith. And so I feel like in our experiences as well, I mean, how many times do I, do I pray and pray and pray? And at that moment, I don't sense any kind of reaction or response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I go back to those times. I go open up my, I have here my, my journal. I go back to those times where God answered and was faithful. And I say, he's, he's doing it again. You remember. Mm-hmm. He's, he, I remember. And I claim those promises and I trust. And mm-hmm. he comes through. He always comes through. I, I love your articulation, Sylvia, of how when in Gethsemane, she has that great line where she says, his decision was made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would save men at any yeah. cost to himself. Yes. And she says the anguish was still there, but the, what was the word? Like but the discouragement had left. So yeah. Jesus is still on that track here, isn't yeah. he? And how many times did she say anguish, uh, agony. agony? I mean, it was like 10 or more times yeah. that I counted. So this is continually bearing upon him. He's married yesterday with my dad. But he has set his face as a flint. Yeah. Yes. Yes, well, what were we going to say about your dad? Well, just we, I was, I'm like, Dad, I've got it. I didn't read it till last night, and my mm-hmm. dad was here, so I was like, Dad, what do you have to say about this chapter? And he's like, Oh, it is finished. That's the best chapter. I'm like, No, I'm doing the one before. <laughs> and so what he said is basically, I read him a few chapters, and what he says is the weight that was on Christ, mm-hmm. the guilt that mm-hmm. every sinner will have to bear, and yeah. we may get to that in a little bit. But there was there was two two components. So there's the guilt, and there's also the responsibility. Mm-hmm. And Christ was carrying both. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, however, at the end, what happens, and this we'll get to in the next chapter, is that he's not responsible for the sin. He's carrying it for us because guilt and responsibility go together. But the guilt, the one who deceived, man was deceived, but the one who deceived mm-hmm. is the one who needs to bear that responsibility. Azazel, which will be you know the scapegoat at the mm-hmm. end of the time. But this is fascinating that this is something that Jesus is doing now. The, mm. the discouragement leaves him, but he still has that agony, the agony of the guilt mm. and yes. the agony of the responsibility. Mm. Great point. Mm. Man, it would have been great if your dad could have joined us. That would have been awesome. I asked him. He, and I, I just, I didn't know. How he, <laughs> he can get oh, him in. Um, what were we going to say, Johnny? Well, I was just going to say, you know, I was thinking about that part with the weeping women. You know, there's yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just wondering, like, did Jesus cry? During the whole time, and then I was just looking at the different descriptions of the the facial, the visage of Christ, and it says calm, yes. serene, no complaint. And I said, well, it, "So how did he? Why didn't he weep?" And then I thought he had he already done, he had already he had already done all the weeping, right. so now he was done with it. He yes. had wept in Gethsemane, and that's what Hebrews says. And he wept over Jerusalem as well. That's right. Vehement cries and tears to the Father, and that goes with that that. And final, he was heard. He was heard. So yes, he great heard. point. Yes. So why, okay. There was no reason. It was like, I made the decision. I yeah. have nothing to cry about. Now my tears are, I don't need to have tears, but I'm going to look with sympathy at the tears mm. of others. Because Beautiful. these are women. They're, wow. These are the other people that are crying. He feels That's a great point. Mm-hmm. And I, I, can, I know I'm going to circle back to this, but I cannot get over that line in yesterday's chapter where Ellen White's describing Pilate sees with the robe and all of that. And she says, he was never more beautiful. Yeah, 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 oh, that was my favorite. I was in, yeah. I was in full yeah. worship oh, yeah, mode there. I was, I was like, that's, that's oh, the moment yeah. right that's there. That's it. Yeah. Um, okay, so here comes the satanic temptation. If he's the son of God, let him come down from the cross. And of course, they are here again, unwittingly preaching the gospel. Yes. Right? It's like, no, the fact that he's the son of God is the very reason he's not coming down. He is more than capable in a thought, in a glance, in a look, in the... But he can't. 
they kind of uttered a truth because mm. he says he saved others. So they're acknowledging his salvation. And they right. it. So they're acknowledging mm. that he's the savior of humanity, that he saved other people, not just from death and from illness, but also their salvation. He's forgiven sins. Mm. That was the blasphemy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also that he's um, mm. now that he saved himself, he says he, he himself, he cannot save. And no, he couldn't. Christ. Not and save them. No, it right. was, one, it or was one or the other. So it's like mm. he saved others, but he can't save himself because that's exactly it's what this or that. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. So they're saying oh, great a truth. point. They yeah. are actually the unwittingly news. saying the truth. They're He's, preaching the gospel. They're preaching to Jesus. He's like, thank you for reminding me. The good news is that he didn't <laughs> I can't save, save himself. Myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then we get to this this little glimmer, this little glimmer of hope. Now, Simon, of course, would have been an encouragement, no doubt, mm. but but. Nothing was more encouraging to him in this moment than what? The thief on the cross, right? The thief, and she goes through, I mean, she spends like two and a half full pages on the thief. And and what do you guys got here? I mean, I just was, this is a well-known story. It's, you know, she describes the, the sort of initial reviling that they both gave. And then the one is observing, he's watching, he's seeing. And then finally, he just says, I got nothing to lose here. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, well, no, not that. But he says, he rebukes the other one. There's the fear element. So he, he talks to his, mm. his uh, companion there and mm. he says, do you not even fear God? Uh, so then she comments, she says, the dying thieves have no longer anything to fear, which is what you're saying, David, from man. This is the penultimate paragraph um, towards the end. Uh, they what have page no, are you on? So 880, uh, 750 in the other mm. version. And how does the paragraph begin? It begins, uh, oh, that's a big one. So yeah. So it's a giant Jesus, one that says, to Jesus to in his Jesus agony. Yep. at the very end. The very end of that, what does she say? The giant thieves have no longer anything to fear from man, but upon one of them presses the conviction that there is a God, a God to fear. And a future to cause him to tremble. This is Matthew 10, 28. Yes. Where Jesus says, fear the one. Don't fear the one who can destroy your body, mm, but can't do anything else. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul and mm. hell. Mm. Fascinating. So man can't do anything, and now they realize, I'm about ready to meet my maker. And then the Holy Spirit starts convicting. And you know what? It it might sound a little macabre to say this, but the thief was uniquely positioned to have the best view of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He's up on the cross himself. He's looking out and seeing all of that. And and he's looking. Just like the Roman soldiers were yesterday. But they looked at Barabbas, and they looked at Jesus. And they looked at Barabbas. So he had a unique vantage point. He could look at Jesus, and he was close. I mean, I don't know how close, but he was, Mm. say, three meters away or two meters away. He's proximate. And he's just saying... And he'd heard of him, and he wanted he'd to He'd heard of him. He was yeah. held back. Yep. He was held yep. back. Yep. 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 And yep. she goes on to say that... Um, and I, this I love, though. She says, among the passers-by... Same paragraph towards the end there, that big second one. Among the passers-by, he hears... He hears... You know, she's in the active. We're in the moment, in, in the scene. She, he hears many defending Jesus. He hears them repeat his words and tell of his works. So there's people there that are testifying to the works of God. He raised Lazarus. He healed me. He healed my, you know, he's done all these things. How can he be on the cross? So he's putting everything together. She says the Holy Spirit is putting Putting it all together. The Holy Spirit illuminates Illumines his, his mind. mind. Yeah, little by little, the chain, chain of, of evidence, evidence is joined together. I thought that was great. That like, was yeah, that's good. There, there's almost a um, how you put this? A, you're in a judgment hall. 
You know, you had the Judgment Hall episode last time. Yeah. Now you have like three people in his head. Mm. He's had the chain of evidence. You so mean the, bring... the, in the, the pilots, the, the pilots one was right. The one but here you're saying now the prisoner has in that, his mind. In his mind, he's exactly. going through judgment. He's going oh, through. Yes, he's yes, going yes. through the evidence of is Jesus the Messiah? Is he not? He hears what they say. He's being beaten. Some yes. people are mocking him, and he's putting it all together. And he's like, man, I don't have anything to lose. I've made some poor decisions, some poor choices. But it's not that he doesn't have anything to lose, and he takes a risk. Mm. He says, Lord. Mm, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. He the, sees the title above the cross that says, this is yeah, the king yeah, of the Jews. Yeah. And who knows, if he was familiar with the scriptures to some degree, we, there was a suffering servant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was going to be a bruising mm -hmm. of the heel. I mean, the scriptures are there. You know, on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, this mm -hmm. is later unpacked by Jesus. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it was, if he had any exposure, he might, through the Holy Spirit, start to have been putting all those yeah. points together. I <laughs> love that language of the, the chain of evidence yes. is joined chain. together. Yeah. G the Holy Spirit's trying to do that for every single Person. soul. Trying to get that link, connecting to that Still link, connecting lines. to that link, getting here. Mm. And and then all of a sudden, as the Australians would say, the penny drops mm. and the thief goes. He sees the Lamb of God. He's, oh. He sees the Lamb of God. And then I love this. And that next paragraph. Quickly the oh, answer oh, came. Yeah, yeah, Soft yeah, yeah. and melodious yes. the tone, yes. full of love and compassion. Yes. And what? Power. Power. What a yeah. strange yeah. juxtaposition, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah so we have, what do we have here? Melodious, mm -hmm. love. Compassion, Compassion. and yeah, you wouldn't have guessed yeah, power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Power. Get the wrong word, Ellen. Assuredly. I mean, listen to that. Assuredly. I mean, this goes to your point earlier about how he. Well, I'm having. I'm getting. I got goosebumps right there. This goes to your point, Sylvia, about how he is now believing. He's trusting. The mm -hmm. agony is there. The weight is there. The experience is there. But he believes. Yeah. He says. He says. Assuredly. He knows. He, knows he says. Yeah, yeah. Assuredly, I say to you, the thief was to him. And evidence, yes. it's Hebrews 12 too. Mm -hmm. Who for the joy that was set before him, he thought, this is going to work out. Yeah. And, 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 and again, I just have to keep bringing this up. I think on the flip side of that, the yin to this yang, so to speak, is Satan becoming increasingly nervous. Perplexed. Like, oh. like Pilate in the last chapter kept saying he was confused. He was confused. He was confused. He was startled. He was puzzled. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that at some point there's going to be the threshold. You know, whenever, whenever there's a comeback game, yeah. you have that point where you think, this team's going to win. Yeah. Even if they're not yet ahead, yeah. the momentum. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think at this point, Satan is just going, what? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Satan just heard Jesus say, yeah. assuredly, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me yeah. in paradise. Yeah. Yeah. And what did the thief think when he heard that? I think he had the peace. I think he has the peace that passes understanding. I think he was. I think he was. He could have. He would have been happier to have been there than sitting on a beach somewhere drinking. So a the coconut agony, drink. the same thing. Wow. The agony st stayed with him, but the discouragement and disappointment left him. He knew he was there, sharing the most intense mm. moment yes. with the Creator of the universe, mm. some mm. Lord in a way mm. that he will understand in eternity, in the hereafter. Mm. Yeah. And, and think about the experience mm. we talked about. Simon, you know, Simon had that unique privilege yeah, yes, of carrying the the cross carrying the patabellum of jesus yeah. well what about the thief the thief can say <laughs> i, I encouraged him exactly yes. i encourage him i mean paul will later say i am crucified with christ nevertheless i live yet not i the thief can the literally say uh, i was what? crucified with christ and and this you mentioned John Peckham's book. John Peckham came out with the Divine Attributes, and one of the things. Have you read it yet? I started to read it. I yeah, know, I yeah, just got it. It's, it's like it's yeah. like my third right now. Just, I'm reading just it. the introduction. I was like, wow, this is. This Have is you read this book yet? 
I saw it on your list. Ooh, yeah, I want to get it. it I cannot. I, I, yeah. I'm only a paragraph in, but or a chapter in, but it's incredible. So anyway, he talks about the, he he explores three different models, and one of them is the love of God. The one he develops is 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 um, he calls it the four conditional reciprocal model. And yeah, that's right. That reciprocality. He says God loves everyone, hoping for the best, but He loves more. He has more, like the more you know someone, your love grows for them. It's true. And as we open mm. up ourselves to the love of God, he mm. loves us more than he mm. loved us yesterday, than he loved us the day before. Than he loves mm. Otherwise, if he has a static love that it's like, oh, I love you the same yesterday. That's the Greek impassibility okay. model. Right. And, and what, what, what Peckham is saying, that, or dynamic is the right word, what Peckham is saying there is revolutionary in a lot of evangelical thought because oh, yeah. they've imported a lot of these Greek ideas about the impassibility of God. Yeah. So I was actually quite surprised that the love of God was published by, by uh, was, was it, it Baker or, or Baker it was published by Baker or IVP or somebody? But because yeah. the ideas there, if they'll follow that to the logical yes. conclusion, is still arrive. It's it's here. It's yep. there. <sighs> yeah. No hallelujah. Woo. Okay. So um, I've got to say this with longing heart. I'm in that next paragraph there. This is after the soft and melodious and compassionate and powerful words. Mm-hmm. Next paragraph. Uh, just a couple sentences down. With longing heart, he has listened for some expression of faith from his disciples. This reminded me of Gethsemane. Because yes. she says eight times. He wanted, he wanted, was yes. hoping, was he yearning, was, was longing. <laughs> and now he's on the cross hoping for some indication of faith, of testimony from his disciples. Down payment of the good Christ to but all he hears is the mournful words. We were hoping that it was he who was to redeem Israel. So the thief who has just spent 30 minutes with yep. Jesus <laughs> sees what the disciples who just spent three years with him could not. And he wasn't there to yes, be of yes, solace yes. or encouragement. He was seeking for himself. Himself. But he was. And he ended up being, being needy and showing his need. And this reminded me of page 207 with the Samaritan women. Mm. The thirst of Christ. Because later he says, I thirst. This mm. was to fulfill prophecy. Mm. But she says, this is page 207, our Redeemer thirsts for recognition and hungers for the sympathy and love of those who he has purchased with his own blood. He longs with inexpressible desire that they should come to him and have life. That's what he was thinking for both of the the prisoners that were at his side, Mm. the thieves. And yet only one. So when that one responded to him, Christ, as as the mother watches for the recognition of her little child, that tells of the dawning of intelligence, so does Christ watch for the expression of Mm. grateful love, Mm. which shows that spiritual life is begun in the soul. That's Peckham right there. Yes. That is the the point that Peckham makes about the, how do you say that, reciprocality? Oh, well, it's it's the uh, four conditional reciprocal model. But if you turn that, it would be reciprocality. reciprocality. I love this idea. That God not only loves, but receives love. He not only thirsts gives joy, he hungers. thirsts and he hungers. He doesn't I mean, just receive, like, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. He thirsts for it. He yeah. longs to be known and loved and appreciated. Mm-hmm. And again, just to flash back to what we were saying a moment ago, we talked about the interpersonal dynamics, the great web of humanity. Yeah, and of course, the getting to know God and to be known by him. Mm-hmm. To be fully known and fully loved. Absolutely. You know, I put in here just a little list on the chapter of people who were, for lack of a better term, feeding into the thirst that Jesus had. So just, just make okay, a little okay. So you had Simon, an immigrant, because the, the, the phrase there is he was a stranger. He wasn't from there. He's like, wait, this guy is not from around here. He's not supposed to even be here. And, and she says he had heard. Then you have the women who are crying out in sympathy. They, they don't really believe that he's the Messiah. But they are at least showing some sympathy towards Jesus. So maybe there's a, a little small boost of, you know, the, the, the feelings that Jesus yeah, is going like through. And then, of course, um, after the women, then you have the thief, 
The Thief on the Cross. The Thief on the Cross. And then, of course, the Centurion. And it's just very interesting that none of them are... Like, the only one that's a local is maybe the Thief, you know? All the other ones is, like, Simon and immigrant Outsiders, women who didn't really visitors. Further from Jerusalem. The, that's it. The further you're going out is there's more evidence that, hey, this is the guy. This is the man. Incredible. And the guy that's right on the cross with him is, is a thief. And he's like, ah, I'm going to spend eternity with him. Okay, how about this line, you guys? I'm on the... Uh, let's see. Oh, man, we got to pick it up. <laughs> um, I'm going to kind of run through a little bit faster. And if I skip anything that you want to say, but how about this line from page 882... Mm. Uh, 752 of the original. That's it. It says, uh, To the penitent thief came the perfect peace of acceptance with God. Jump down just a few sentences later. They may strip from him his raiment and quarrel over its division. How about this line? But they cannot rob him of his power to forgive sins. And uh, I was just recently, I did a a series of talks um, for my son's school. And one of the people that I talked about in that talk was Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning. And and his big thing, one of his big things was that everything can be taken from you, but what cannot be taken from you is your power to choose your attitude in a given set of circumstances. And so I just was thinking about Frankl here where it's, you know, they could take everything away from him, but what they could not take was his power to choose to forgive sins. And he said to the thief, you're going to be with me in paradise. Beautiful. Well, and you skip, can I go back to something you skipped? Of course, of course. Uh, So to me, uh, Pretty much the highlight of the whole chapter you skipped over. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> Go. Uh, page 882, well, 882, same page you're on. So at the beginning of that paragraph, uh, as he spoke the words of promise, the dark cloud that seemed to enshroud. And this is what I mentioned before about the light and the darkness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, also, I want to mention that uh, something that stood out to me when I was reading the book of Ty is the darkness and the sundering of God. There's a passage that happens there in, um, in uh, Genesis chapter 15 where a dark horror... Uh, darkness and horror, darkness mm. and horror. Mm. And Ellen White uses the exact same phraseology in the Garden of Gethsemane, darkness and horror. Constantly. You're talking about the experience with Abraham when Abraham yes. has the, yeah. So Abraham goes into a deep sleep, darkness yeah. and horror comes over him. Horror, yeah. And the torch and the, the burning light and the torch come and they pass yeah. between the pieces that needed to be, that were cut. Yeah. Now again, what's happening here, this entire chapter is about the covenant cutting. Christ himself is the covenant. He's being cut in two. He's being rent asundered. The Father along with him, because they were one from all eternity, now mm-hmm. they're being rent asundered. And in this sundering is the fulfillment of the covenant. The covenant of Gen- Genesis 15. Mm-hmm. Of, of Genesis 15, where God promises him that he will be faithful. He's both the one, the giver of the covenant, and the one who fulfills it. Mm-hmm. He, he fulfills both worlds. I know, Abraham, you wanted to walk through the pieces, but I'm going to put you mm-hmm. into deep sleep Correct. so you can't. And so what God's here, the one that passes through mm-hmm. the pieces. God mm-hmm. himself and, and Christ. There's two lights that pass through. So both of them were rent asunder. Both of them experienced the suffering. As we will see, God was in Christ reconciling the world, the world to himself. himself. So let's go a little bit down. To the penitent thief came the perfect piece of acceptance, which you read. Mm-hmm. Christ, in his humiliation, was glorified. He who, in, to all other eyes, appeared to be conquered... Was, was a conqueror. The conqueror. I don't know why she, she didn't use the definitive. The, we needed the definitive article, but she does do the capital C. She does. She does. It was not a conqueror. He was the yeah, conqueror. He was You would give her a little. So, so this goes along with the, with the prior one where we see the faith that he has in God and this, this light that shines on him. Um, she talks about the light when he, and the, the light that's shining on him, his glorification is in the forgiving of the sins of the penitent. Mm. Uh, wow. So through the forgiveness of sins, his it glory is his glory divinity, to forgive. Yeah. 
That's the miracle of the chapter. Dave. And and one other thing, and then I'll stop. No, like what are you a, talking about? Go, a, girl. This is a bookend uh, to chapter one. So in our chapter one, we had several passages. Mm. The glory shining in the face of Jesus is the glory of self-sacrificing love. Mm-hmm. The light from Calvary. In the light from Calvary, it will be seen that the law of self-renouncing love is the law of life for earth and heaven. Wow. The love which does not seek its own. It is the glory of our God to give. And this, this mm. giving, mm. he gives repentance mm. to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And this is what we're seeing here. His glory. Yeah, it comes full circle, doesn't it? It does. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were saying that, Sylvia, the thing that occurred to me is that it is his glory to give and to forgive. Mm, beautiful. It is God's glory to give and to forgive. Amen. Oh, come on now. Mm. Um, so he says, verily I say, she goes into the point about how he was not saying, you'll be with me today in paradise, mm-hmm. but rather I say to you today, when it looks like I can't offer anything, you will be with me in paradise. She makes the point about how he slept in the tomb. Yeah, that's very straightforward, in my opinion. There's just no way around the fact that Jesus himself didn't go to paradise. He was in the tomb on, sure. on Sabbath and rose on Sunday. So how can he say to the thief that day, well, there were no commas in the in the Greek. Right. None of them mm-hmm. had any punctuation. And the people that were translating it obviously had a different framework, mm-hmm. uh, presupposition. Right. And so they put the comma there. Yeah, the immortal mm-hmm. soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then she trans, trans sort of pans out as she often does. And she says, with amazement, the angels beheld the infinite love mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The point here to be understood is that, and I've preached this many, many times over the years, is that until Calvary, yes. until Gethsemane, the universe knew, the unfallen universe knew that God was good, but they didn't know how good. Mm, yeah. Nobody knew God was this good. The only person that knew was God himself. Mm-hmm. He's the only one. And so the, even the angels are astonished and saying, we knew he loved. Mm. We didn't know he loved like this. Mm-hmm. And there's still, mm. even in the next chapter, she goes into it, saying that the angels, even though they understood, and we go to Revelation 12, uh, and Revelation 12 says that here there was this uh, vanquishing. So at this point, He's been wounded, but the crushing of the snake under our feet hasn't happened yet. He mm. began the crushing. Correct. And the angels began to understand more clearly, but they hadn't fully understood the nature of the government of Satan's uh, reign. Correct. And so that needed to have its proper development in the course of time. And that's why it wasn't, okay, Jesus dies, and we and all And then it's just heaven, all done like that. And we can immediately you know, bank on that and go to heaven. Yeah, Which would be great. very good. Mm-hmm. That's Romans sixteen twenty. There isn't mm-hmm. it that that God will bruise Satan under, under your feet, your feet. Mm-hmm. shortly. Mm-hmm. Yes, shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, how about this line? Amid all the physical pain and mental anguish, mm-hmm. uh, he had careful thought for his mother. She actually says that the physical pain was scarcely felt. Mm-hmm. Scarcely felt. Um, I'm going to turn the page. Let me know if I skip over anything. Are we, how are we doing? Okay, we're close. We're getting there. Um, I thought this line was incredible. I'm all the way over on page 884. Did I go too fast? No, it's good. So I'm over on page 884. It's the paragraph that actually begins the page before that. And now the Lord of glory was dying, a ransom for the race. Jump down to this line. I thought this was so insightful and so well written. She says here, um, Christ was the prince of sufferers, but his suffering was from a sense of the malignity of sin. Mm. And then how about this line right here? A knowledge that... Through familiarity with evil, man had become blinded to its enormity. Then she follows that up with Christ saw, he knew, he saw. So Christ is the one who's uniquely positioned. We talked a moment ago about how the thief was uniquely positioned to see Jesus in a way that nobody else could. Okay, 
Jesus is uniquely positioned to understand the enormity and the tragedy and the terror of sin. He's the only one. C.S. Lewis makes this great point about how Jesus is the only true realist because we succumb to temptation. Jesus resisted, resisted, resisted. We might overcome today and fall tomorrow. We might over have overcome yesterday and fall today. David, you're like disappearing from the screen. Oh, sorry. We might. I'm sorry. We might yeah, overcome today, way. and and fail tomorrow. Or but but Jesus at every opportunity. So she says, or he says, excuse me. Lewis says Jesus is the only one that understands fully the strength of sin. Mm. And so that's what she's saying here. She says that by our familiarity with sin, we lose a sense of the enormity of it. But Jesus was uniquely position his as God and as a sinless human being as both in fact he was uniquely positioned to see how terrible and tragic sin well, is and to the degree that he was perfect mm. he suffered the aggression of evil uh, even just a, a mean look would just wound his soul and I was thinking in the chapter yesterday I think it was or the day before with Herod where he was sympathetic he was uh, remorseful for what he had done with John the Baptist but because he became hardened, now he could actually take pride and boast about having beheaded John the Baptist. So even within a sinful state, we can become more and more hardened mm -hmm. when we don't see the sinfulness mm -hmm. of sin. And do you know what we're becoming? We're becoming, when that happens, that process you just described, Sylvia, we're becoming less human. Mm. Yes. See, Jesus shows us how to be fully human. Mm. We, yeah. we are literally becoming less human when we so harden ourselves to compassion and sympathy, and we so harden ourselves to sin that we are such a far cry from God's original intent because we were made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image. Mm -hmm. Jesus shows up to, in part, in large part, to show us how to be fully human, mm -hmm. what it is to live in the image of God. Mm -hmm. um, jumping down there, um, then she gets into this section here about, and I, wanna, I really wanna get your guys' input on this. She says language like this, and I'll just quote several of them. She uses the language of veiled of hidden, she says, uh, he cannot see the Father's reconciling face, the withdrawal of the divine countenance. Um, this can never be fully understood by man, so great was this agony that his physical pain was hardly felt. So then the, that incredible paragraph about how the Savior couldn't see through the portals of the tomb. Mm -hmm. so, so what's happening here is, I, I wanna ask you, I don't wanna say, because I don't wanna, I might get it wrong, and I wanna see if you guys can help me with this. The Father is there. Yes. Mm -hmm. She says it. Mm -hmm. She literally says, God and his holy angels were beside the cross. Mm -hmm. The father was with his son, but his presence was hidden. In some mm -hmm. sense, his, she uses the language, his countenance mm -hmm. was withdrawn. Mm -hmm. How do you guys make peace of this paradox of the withdrawal and yet the presence? The hiddenness and yet he's there. But he's not there, but he is there. <laughs> mm -hmm. You got anything for me? I mean, he's there. We can, let's just make a series of definitive statements. The father, she says it. It's, it. We can drive a stake in the ground there. She says, the father was with his son. God and his holy angels were beside the cross. Mm -hmm. But then that, the paradox of it is, is that she says God's presence was mm -hmm. hidden. And she says over here that he, the withdrawal of the divine countenance. So it must have been that the father was there because he couldn't stand to be separate emotionally, but he could not be he hid himself. He was mm -hmm. hidden. Mm -hmm. That's what it said. Yeah. Jesus had the experience. I mean, he drunk the cup of the wine. Well, he wasn't the just of... hidden here. He started to become hidden. All the way back in Gethsemane. Yeah. yeah. So do we just say that he was hidden from view? Well, no, no. This is the sundering. The sundering that mm. takes place 
God the Father can't carry the cup of woe. This is what Christ was uniquely qualified to do. And in carrying the cup of woe, the, the cup of the wrath of God, which everybody who rejects God will have to bear in the last day, in doing that, God is the giver of the wrath in a way. I mean, it's, it's just... A wanko sword him. against my shepherd. I mean, it kind of yeah, reminds me, because he is. He says, I will strike the shepherd. And yeah. so it reminds me as a parent when I had to punish my kids, and I didn't want to. It's so much easier to be a, a, a libertarian Correct. parent and just let your kids have the go Correct. of it than to be strict and to take the time and to discipline them, or, God forbid, to punish them. It's so painful. And I can't imagine, mm. with the rending that took place and on top of it, to having to heap this cup of woe on his mm. beloved son, who des deserved nothing and was guiltless, um, I think this rending was breaking the heart of God who was right there with him. I think mm. both of them were heartbroken. And the Holy Spirit who we, you know. Yeah. So if I asked this question, Sylvia, and Johnny too, if I said, was the sundering, and you use that word, I love that word, because that's Ellen White's word in another place. She says, never again will the sundering of the divine powers. So here's my question. Was the sundering actual, perceptual, or both? Both. It's both, isn't it? Like it was an actual sundering at some incomprehensible ontological level. There was a separation. There was a split. There was a sundering. Can I just read this? This mm. is where she brings up the sundering. The captain of our salvation was perfected through suffering. His soul was made an offering for sin. It was necessary for the awful darkness to gather about his soul because of the withdrawal of the Father's love and Jesus, favor. that word here. Mm. For he was standing in the sinner's place, and, it's, and this darkness every sinner must experience. Mm. The righteous one must suffer the condemnation and wrath of God, not in vindictiveness. vindictiveness not in vindictiveness. For the Son, for the heart of God yearned, yearned with greatest sorrow in his Son, the guiltless, was suffering the penalty of sin. This sundering of the divine powers will never, never again occur throughout the eternal And where are you quoting from there, just so, so people know? Uh, so this is, um, I guess, Selected Messages 93, or is that a letter? What would that be? No, that's right. So I, I think that sounds right. MS 93, 1899, paragraph 23. 1899. So, so this is a, what she says there expressly, she is saying here in, in, with the sort of literary devices of the withdrawal. She's using this language about beside but hidden. Mm. From Jesus' perspective, she literally says, hope did not present itself coming forth from the grave as a conqueror. But by faith, yes. and this is where she's going to go, right? Mm -hmm. Are we there? Are we there yet? Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Mm -hmm. The faith of Jesus. Oh, how about this line? All who had seen Christ in his suffering had been convicted of his divinity. Mm. She says everybody there was like, yeah, something's going on on that cross. Mm. That is not a malefactor. Well, and with the earthquake that, and everything else, mm. the light. The oh, earth. then all the, the, the because are, have we, are we at noon yet? Because from twelve o'clock to three o'clock there was darkness, darkness, and he was hiding. And she actually room. talks about that how it was all, that God, as it were, drew the curtain of charity over yes, the suffering of His Son. Yeah. And then she says, even when the sun yeah, came back out, yeah, there was still yeah. a darkness around the cross. Come and then she she says this several times, and I love it when she says it. She says that, that nature itself, yeah, yeah. and she says the sun, yes. she personifies yes, the sun yeah. there. The sun refused to look upon that awful scene. Oh, yes. Inanimate nature expressed sympathy with its insulated and dying author, with its mm. insulted, not insulated, and dying author. That's Gethsemane. She yeah. says the same yeah. thing. Yeah. And this, that's Romans 8. You're doing Romans yeah, 8. We're doing Romans 8. That's the agony, the, yeah. the, the, the groaning. The groaning the creation. Groaning. We have the groaning in our hearts. We, and the Holy Spirit groans with us. Yeah, I, I, we're going to preach that. Because yeah. we preach the groaning creation, the groaning mm. Christian, and the groaning comforter. Mm. That's it. And groaning has such an onomatopoeic quality to it, doesn't oh, yeah. it? It's like yeah. to groan. It just feels... Yeah. 
Oh, incredible. You, you know, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting. We're is, on the last, like literally this is the last like two, three pages here. What do you got? Well, you have in the temple, the renting of it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of exposing. And then over here you have closing, covering up. Ooh, so it's good kind of like contrast. Two contrast is like that part is over, fellas. Curtains are closed, but or, or curtains are falling apart. Curtains down. And then over here, guys, like okay, I'm gonna kind of shield it because he can't bear to have that separation. It just really draws strange. the curtain yeah. of charity over it. I love what she says there when she when the veil of the temple is torn. She says, "A way was made yeah, yeah. into the most holy place." Yeah. I mean. That is what I, that's one, that's a great example of what I love about Ellen White's writing. She can just move seamlessly into a profound theological point. Mm -hmm. The veil tears and then she states what's being said there. Is also his body. So mm -hmm. in the tearing exactly. of the veil, mm -hmm. is the Hebrews 6, right? Sundering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Hebrews mm -hmm. um, 10 20. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 10 20. Um, so that through the veil that was torn, which is his body. Mm -hmm. But then also, uh, it's, did I write it down? Isaiah 25 7 talks about the covering that is cast over all nations mm -hmm. that will be torn. Mm -hmm. And it talks about the death. And he will remove death and he will wipe every tear from his eye. This is wow. foreshadowing at the very what end. What passage is that? So that's Isaiah chapter 25, verse mm -hmm. 7. Mm -hmm. And so the covering or the, the covering that was cast is sin, it's darkness. Um, and that rending that happens, the veil that's rent is not just Christ, but Christ as death. Christ, Christ takes on death in mm. order to overcome death. And so he is both death, destroying death, sin, he becomes sin, and as sin, the consequence of sin mm. is death. He takes it upon himself, and in rending himself, he rends death. Mm. Mm. This, I've always thought of this as, uh, and maybe this is, uh, maybe there's not, you know, scriptural warrant for this, but in my mind, I've always thought this is David slaying Goliath and then chopping his head off with his own sword. Mm, yeah. Because he literally uses yeah, death yeah. to defeat him that had the power of death. He cuts his head off with his own sword. He leverages the weight of that sword, the size of that sword, the power of that sword against the very one who wielded it. Mm. Come on now. Turn it around. Um... Whew. Okay, so then we have the, I mean, we're there, right? I mean, you guys have anything more? We're in the last bit here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, clearly, we have to read the chapter or the paragraph there at the very end, page 887. Well, you, you missed 887. I, I missed a ton. Where are you at? 887? 887, yeah. I was going to read the amid the awful darkness. Oh, oh but you got to do for you, for you, for you. He speaks oh, for yeah, you. The that, person. Okay, the where, where am I at? Where am I at? Top yeah. of page 887, uh, where she says his hands, his feet, the agony that racked his frame, the unutterable top of page 887, Oh yeah, I'm there, yeah, I'm there. Anguish that filled his soul at the hiding of his father's face speaks to every child of yes. humanity declaring it is for it you. It was for you, yeah, I double yeah. underline that. Yeah. yeah, the son of God consents Amen. to bear this burden. It is for you mm. that he spoils the domain of death and opens the gates of paradise. He who stilled the angry yes. waves and walked the foam-capped billows, yes. who made devils tremble and disease flee, who opened blind mm. eyes and called forth the dead, offers himself upon the cross as a sacrifice from this love and this from love to you. Amen. And I just love three-pointed, you know, putting me there. I feel like I missed one of the you's there. So, so I got the declaring it is for you. Uh-huh. Bear the burden of guilt for you. He spoiled mm. the domain of death. So after the semicolon for you. Oh, for you. There it is. Okay, yeah, excellent. How did I miss that? Mm. And mm. then, and for your sake becomes sin itself. Mm. To me, that was mm. insane. And where am I at here? For, for your sake. Yeah. Man, how did I miss mm. that? Mm. And the funny, the irony of that is, is, or not the irony, but the tragedy of it is I, I got the first one. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it is for you, it is for you, for you, and for your sake, which is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Mm. Right, and then I just wanted to go to the bookend, the first one here, for the great exchange, because all of this points us back to Christ was treated as we yes. deserve. That uh, that's my, this is my all-time favorite statement. Yeah. That is my all-time favorite statement in the whole one. No, you read it. I want to hear you read it. Yeah. Page 25. Page uh, 20, well, 26 and ours, 25 in the, in the old version. Mm. Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness mm. in which yeah. we have mm. no share. He, he suffered, suffered the, the death, death which, which was, was ours, ours, that we might receive mm. the life which was his. By his stripes, we are healed. And then this, by his death, Christ has achieved even Even more than recovery from the ruin wrought through sin. Amen. It was Satan's purpose Mm. to bring around eternal separation between God and man. But in Christ, we become more closely united to God than if we had never fallen. Incredible. Oh, and she goes on. And part of the reason for that is, as we were just discussing a moment ago, we now know how good God is. Mm. You know, this is Paul in Romans 1.16. He says... um, uh, Romans 1 16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ it says for in it the power of or in it the righteousness of God is revealed mm. it's revealed it's disclosed we now see what was inaccessible to yes. us in the absence of Jesus death on the cross mm, beautiful this is the opposite of the hidden component it's, it's revealed, revealed made open so he, he has to have something full disclosure close now I'm so glad you you brought that out i i love the you know we've talked about how ellen white can just drop in these incredible Mm. theological points Mm. but you know the other thing she does so well she just goes straight into pastoral ministry Mm. she just she's just like okay over here and it's for you and it's for you and And sometimes she'll say oh dear reader you know she just (laughs) ah come on now um so the cross was still enveloped in darkness jesus cries out it is finished he then bowed his head upon his breast mm. and died. And then this paragraph, Johnny, read us the paragraph that says, amid the awful darkness, because this is crucial. Mm, see it's right amid at the... Amid the awful darkness, apparently forsaken of God. Apparently forsaken of God. Christ had drained the last dregs in the cup of human woe. In those dreadful hours, he had relied upon the evidence of his father's acceptance heretofore given him. He was acquainted with the character of his father. He understood his justice, his mercy, and his great love. By By faith, he rested in him whom it had ever been his joy to obey. And as in submission, he committed himself to God. The sense of the loss of his father's favor was withdrawn. By faith, Christ was Victor. That's the faith of Jesus. That's the faith of Jesus. No, that's insane. I, this paragraph yeah. is so packed. It's a 10 um, out of 10. I mean, we could have talked all two hours on that paragraph oh, alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love the line here about how he relied on the evidence of his father's acceptance previously mm-hmm. given. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, the we, that's the same thing yeah. we have to do. Yeah. 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 Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Faith is the substance of well, things hoped for. It, just to go, when he bowed his head upon his breast at the end of the prior paragraph and died, he has this glorification of final divinity flashing through humanity. And then he lays down his life. No mm. one takes it from me. That's it right. He mind. said that back in John chapter 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody yeah. takes my life from and me. And this is what he does. He says the moment has come of the evening sacrifice because he knew that at that moment in the temple, the little lamb was going to be slain. And so he says the time has come. And so he gives up his life. At the same time, God is all about the timing. The, the timing. timing. Mm. Yeah. 
And then the whole, like, she, you know, she talks about what happened in the earth. And this line mm. here, creation seemed to be shivering to atoms. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And then I love the fact, because I'm all about this. In the next paragraph, she goes straight to Abraham. Clothed yeah. in his significant and beautiful dress, the priest stood with lifted knife, as did Abraham. She yeah. Yeah. purposefully yeah, yeah. calls to mind the sacrifice, the attempted sacrifice of Isaac atop Moriah. Because that yeah. is the... That is the quintessential hundred percent, right? Mm -hmm. And and Abraham here unwittingly preaches the gospel. God will provide a lamb for himself. himself. And that's what's happened here. And then she says, the way into the holiest is laid open. A new and living way is prepared for all. Mm. And she opened with Hebrews and she closes with Mm. Hebrews. There's so many symmetries with it. I often wonder if she was in full possession of many of the... I'm just going to say what I think. I think she was often writing things like the Bible writers of old, yeah. and they did not fully know yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. the chiasms, the, the intricacy. Yeah. Sometimes I think yeah. they did. Yeah. But sometimes I think they just got... Like Pilate didn't know what he was writing. Yeah. Yeah. Pilate didn't know what he was writing. He just wrote... And then later, it's like, oh, he wrote the truth. There's no yeah. doubt that Ellen White, she studied, she's prayed, mm-hmm. she's... She's a, an older woman at this point. She's in her early 70s as she's writing. So she's a woman, an inveterate follower of Jesus. Mm. But even so, because the New Testament tells us this about the Old Testament prophets, mm. that they often wrote things that they themselves yep. did not know. Yep. It's the divine author who mm. writes through them. Through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're fully aware and sometimes... The Bible, Ellen White says, is inexhaustible. The amount yes. of information that we have in the Word of God is so inexhaustible that all eternity yes. will be required and we will continually delve into its pages and connect and see new elements of glory in what God has revealed to us that so many people neglect. And so to have this woman giving us some of these new um, gems, these new highlights that we can start to piece together is such a gift. It's a gift. It's such a gift. Okay, so now we are to the big moment here and I want to know what everyone's word was and so uh we'll do this tell us if you see uh your word for the chapter i've got mine i got mine uh i'm second guessing mine now (laughs) (laughs) because there's there's so many other uh good ones oh man oh somebody's asking where the live is from yesterday uh so it didn't record instagram didn't record it but it's still available it went up live obviously if you watched it but it instagram didn't keep it Maybe it went YouTube. too long. I don't know. But it's on YouTube. It's was on it YouTube. Two hours? It was two, two hours, hours, just like today. Yeah. Okay, so I got conqueror, victor, substitute, surety, victor, lifted, glory, conqueror. Okay, I saw mine. You saw yours already? Yeah. Victorious, victory, savior, revealed, indescribable. Oh, Dmitri Levchenkov. Dmitri, I love you. Great to see you, brother. Yalab Yutibia. Redeemed. Hope. Victor, redemption, triumph. I have not yet seen mine. Oh, I just saw mine. Randall Elloway. God bless you, brother. You have my word. Love you, Randall. Great. Alleluia. Altruistic. What was your word? Victor, my word is king. Ah, yes. Mine's akin to king. What is yours? Mine's conqueror slash S. Conqueror, because in Christ, we are more than conquerors. I went to that passage. Yeah, that's great. We're more than conquerors through him who loved Uh, us. Okay, we've got Victor fulfilled. Did you see yours on? Oh, yeah, somebody had conqueror. Yeah, yeah. 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 I haven't seen mine there. You are a loser. You haven't seen yours yet? (laughs) Wow. I haven't seen mine. Whoa, really? Faith, cross, forgiving. Maybe mine's just too complicated. (laughs) Okay, Johnny, give it to us. What is it? What is is your word? My word 
starts at the beginning and ends at the, oh, at the chapter. This is David's analogy. So the word is place. Nice. So it begins by saying, and when they would come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And it's mentioned 20 times, the place, the place, the place. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with talking about uh, he's entered once into the holy place, having obtained oh, eternal redemption for interesting. us. And then I just thought of, you know, John where he says, I go to prepare a place mm-hmm. for you, that where I am, there you may be also. Mm. So I just thought, this is all about a location. This is not about Judas. You know, there's a chapter called Judas. There's another one in Pilate's Judgment. This is, well, place and time. Oh, this is, great point. Yeah, yeah this, this, is, is this is Calvary. Calvary. Yeah, yeah. So I want to be there. I kind of like it. I, I, to be honest, when you first said it, it was a hard sell for me. But I actually like that. I just want to be in that place. So yeah. I was just thinking, At the foot you know, of the cross. that's it. That's mm. it. Were you there when they crucified no, my Lord? Were you there? That, were you at the place? Were you at the place? Yeah. And I want to be at the place. No. Ultimately, I want to be in heaven with him. Amen. But there's there's a promise. I want them to be with me where I am and behold my glory. That's it. Beautiful. Um, Okay, so for you two, I'll just put you on the spot here. What was the point? And there were many, but if you had to summarize, what would you say the point of this chapter was? Start with you, John. Oh, man. Okay, we'll start with Sylvia. Okay, so uh, point or person, I think it's kind of connected. Okay. The the point is to show uh, the fulfillment of of the typology. The, the connecting of the Old and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, which is here fulfilled, is this covenant fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the type meeting anti-type, to me, is the point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she ends with Abraham. Mm-hmm. She ends with the Lamb. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. brilliant. Excellent. Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. I mean, it goes along with the same thing, that, that it's fulfilling. That there's, there's, there's a promise given, and there's a promise fulfilled, and God says he's going to do something, and he, and he actually comes mm-hmm. through. And he he makes does what he says he'll do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote um, to bring us face to face, so to speak, with the crucified Christ to create a literary space where we can behold the Lamb of God that takes mm-hmm. away the sin of the world. That's, this, to me, was a worship chapter. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Uh, sure. It is finished is a, yeah. is a learning chapter yeah, yeah, yeah. as well as a worship chapter. But this chapter, I was just like, yeah. okay, what do we learn about the person of God here? I mean, we learn everything we need to know, but, but can you sort of yeah, condense so, it down? Uh, two Latin words or uh, four phrases, two words, agnus Dei. And Christus Victor. Mm. So Lamb of God, you know, he's the he's the atonement for us. He provides atonement, and mm. yet he's victorious. The mm-hmm. the contraposition of those two extremes so beautifully represented here. The one who appeared conquered was the conqueror. And then we get to the book of Revelation, and and it's the hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Yeah. yeah. So so this paradox. this incredible paradox of the the wrathful Lamb. Mm. Yeah. The, the defeated conqueror? Yeah. The crucified Messiah? Yeah. Okay, Johnny, what do you got? Um, and this is just a little point that I had put in here a while ago that I didn't really get to share. Um, when it begins, the story, it actually talks about them gathering together. You know, the, the, the people are drawn together. They go to, there's, there's a spot there. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea of somehow the cross gathering people from all different I social strata. So I don't know if you noticed that at the beginning of the I did. Chapter. Of course I did. She you says know? a large multitude. Yeah. And how it still gathers yeah. people. How yeah. it's still the meeting point. So it's like, it doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're learned. It doesn't, you can it's be a thief. It's the equalizing force. That's it. It equalizes us. All, they all come together at the cross. Mm-hmm. The so, ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's right. Amen. So Jesus is separated from his father so that humanity can be gathered together. Mm. Come Ooh. together. That, that's very much the cups there, isn't it? Where Jesus drinks the cup of separation and the disciples drink the cup of connection and communion. Mm. Um, here's what I wrote. The person that God took 
uh, voluntary responsibility for sin and rebellion of his creation and that God is love. Amen. I mean, she makes the point that he consented. It's voluntary. Mm. You know, back he to John 10. No one takes my mm. life from mm. me. And he even says it to Pilate. Pilate says, don't you? He pulls him aside. Right? Hey, young man, do you understand? I have mm. the power to crucify mm. you. Do you know? Yeah. And, and he says, actually, let me reorient you here. <laughs> you would have no power at all except it had been granted to you from my Father, which is in oh, heaven. Beautiful. Total reorientation of power as we understand it. Um, how do we pray this chapter, Sylvia? Uh, well, I, I think to me it's the um, it's the beholding mm, yeah. to continually Agree. behold this because, mm. like you were saying before, I shrink from those graphic images, mm. yeah. and I so often shrink from the scenes of the crucifixion mm. because it is excruciating, you mm. know, the cross. Um, and so, to, to you know, she says it would be well for us to spend a thoughtful. Ellen White says a thoughtful hour each day contemplating, mm. especially the last scenes of the life of Christ, mm. and to to do that more often too, because as I suffer, if I see. What Christ has done, if, I'm vi- if I have before my eyes on a consistent daily basis the love that he met out for me, it is for you that I have done this, then mm. I can endure suffering. You know, I'm dead in Christ and I no longer live. You know, I can't Beautiful. suffer. And if I do, I partake of his sufferings. Beautiful. And I will partake of his glory one day. Amen. 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 I love the fact that we've got this little wreath here. It's like a, it's like a laurel, like a victorious and wreath. Yes, and then we will serve the Lord. As for me, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. Johnny, how do we pray this chapter? I mean, I think it's along the same thing. You know, Lord, help me to trust in you despite the hard times, the, the dark nights, because this is what Jesus is going through, mm. um, that, that, that uh, cloud that enshrouds him, um, and then trust what he's done and what he's said in yesterday and yesteryear. He will do it again. He'll do it in, in a greater and a more Beautiful. powerful way. Amen. I wrote, um, God, please forgive me and all who are willing to be forgiven, for we do mm. not know what we do. Oh, yes. We do not comprehend. Our familiarity with sin has robbed us of a sense of its enormity. Mm. And to the degree that we can understand its enormity, we will flee from it. You know, she has that great yes. line where she says, we will find sin to be hateful. Mm. Mm. Hateful. Yeah. Um, then finally, how do we practice this chapter? That's very similar to the prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, Sylvia, what do you got? Uh, well, I would, I would say the same thing. What you were saying is to practice, I, I hadn't thought of that, but that's brilliant, to practice forgiving other people. That when mm. people hurt me, it's not me, it's not a personal thing, but it's, it's something that they're not aware. Like people, mm-hmm. when they're hurtful, they're not aware of the degree to which they hurt. Great usually, point. Yeah, usually. usually. Great point. Um, they, they don't mean to hurt you. And so just to forgive them, just to have total clemency, total grace. Uh, and apply that kind of, if Jesus could have it to his tormentors, how much easier it should be for me Amen. to meet out grace. Hey, beautiful. Amen. I love the use of clemency there. Amen. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, similarly, to come to the place where I can trust his word um, for what he's done for me in the past, that he will continue to do it again in the future. Mm. Just, just beautiful. taking in at his word. Uh, I wrote to trust to the faith and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Um, to banish doubt and to lean into his love and his glorious, incomprehensible mm. sacrifice. I mm. love how it ends there with, by faith, by faith, mm. Christ was the victor. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't have the hope, but he had the faith, hope, yeah. and love. He yeah. had love and he had, um, he had faith. And the faith inspired a hope that he didn't feel. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the mm. cross. Well, Sylvia, Johnny, thank you so much. And uh, we will close with prayer. My word was king. Yours was place, and yours was conquerors. Mm-hmm. That's it. Brilliant. Sylvia, would you close prayer? Thank you all for joining us. We love you. It's been a long one. It's been our longest yet, but 
We're in slow motion here, and uh, if you can't watch it all live, that's fine. There was a mountain chapter. There was a mountain chapter. And uh, I feel like we've been on the mountaintop here. I had Mm -hmm. several moments there where I was like, and I actually, I don't get teary ever. I'm just not a crier. My wife seen me cry. But weirdly, I got a little teary. And for me, it was like the equivalent of somebody else weeping when I was reading through this chapter, particularly with the mother when Jesus speaks to his mother. And I just got this little moment mm. where I was like, and for me, that's huge. Oh, that's, that's, oh, that's, that's, <laughs> for me, that's like, oh, man. All right, uh, Sylvia, please close with prayer. Dear gracious Lord, once again, we just thank you, Lord. We asked you at the beginning to be with us mm. for your Holy Spirit, to guide our thoughts, to impact our vision, and to bring us into a closer harmony with you and one another. And you mm. have been here, you have met us, and you have brought us closer to you. We just praise you and thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to behold uh, our Savior, not just on the cross anymore, as we will see, he is now enthroned in heaven, but the enthronement, mm. the the enthronement that we saw here, the, the contrary throne of the cross, Lord, mm. this was the highest point, the lowest point, Lord, was your wow. highest point of showing wow. us your love, and it is for us, for me, for you, that he did this because Amen. of his great love. May you... It compel us each day more. Your love, your goodness, compel us to love you and obey you and follow you ever more closely mm. until the day that you come to take us to heaven and to even then study what you have done and just be amazed and uh, uh, worship you for the mm. glorious things you have done. We ask these things, Lord, and that you continue to be, especially with David, as he um, continues to do the DA with DA. May you bring us to a wonderful climax, mm. and also with Johnny and mm. all of their endeavors, Lord. I thank you for them, and I pray for blessings upon their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm.